Welcome back, everybody. I'm Lady. And I'm Alana. And this is Spookery Part 3. Let's go! Guys, we are Let's very excited about this, this third part. We, we are really excited. I need to know how this ends. I know it ends badly and not good, but I need to. Well, it de- it depends on your perspective. I, yeah, that's true. I suppose that's that is a true statement. Yeah, but we're we're here. We're in part three. If you haven't listened to the other two parts, don't listen to this episode. Go listen to part one and two. This isn't going to make a lot of sense. Accurate. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm also going to give everyone a warning ahead of time. This is the Slap Happy episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, we've been recording them in in uh, in order, like right after each other, so that we can, we don't, we both of us can remember the information and we have our rhythm. But it's late now, <laughs> and I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the night. It is, yeah, uh, it is dark outside. <laughs> you feel the darkness in our bones, and you guys are going to feel it oh. through your ears right now. Yep, because uh, this is, uh, I'm slap happy, and I'm about to tell you a lot of very dark information, and it's just not gonna work well. But here we are. But here we are, <laughs> folks. Yeah. So teach me a thing, lady. Uh, I will teach you many a thing, but I'm also gonna first start off this episode with trigger warning. Yes. Uh, I will describe some injury. I will describe some violence, and for those of you who are queasy, here's a trigger warning for desecration of corpses. Oh. Yeah. I just. Just in case you were wondering where we are and what's happening. Spoil a little bit of a spoiler alert, but yeah. Well, you don't know whose corpses. I do. It's 100% <laughs> true. I will learn about the corpses. Yeah, you don't know the context of the corpses. And, you know, it's... But, but yeah, I'll, I'll flag it when it happens. It'll be very quick. Um, all of the, the, the trigger warnings in this series are very quick, but I will put them in the description so you guys can skip ahead if you don't want to listen to it, if that's something that upsets you. But just so you know, it does happen in this story. So just prepare yourself. And if you're not ready for it, I am okay. You don't have to listen to the series. We will see you in the next episode yeah. for our beautiful cryptids and folklore uh, series that Alana is putting together as we speak. Absolutely. Yeah. Never. We will never take it personally. You know, everyone has their things. If there's parts you don't want to listen to, you just skip right on past it. Yep. And that's okay. Yeah. We'll be here when you're ready. Yes. All right. Without further uh, ado, lady, take it away. Yes. So, part one, we went through the early years of Bonnie and Clyde. We talked about how they met, what they were doing, their fucking, their Buddy Hill phases where things just went wrong and we don't know why. Uh, it was their, It was considered kind of like their golden years because things went wrong, but it was kind of comically went wrong. And not a lot of people got hurt, but a lot of people got hurt. Then uh, Clyde's brother was released from prison and he joined the gang. And then things started to take a turn from the worst. Uh, Buck and uh, Blanche were thrown. They were thrust into the world of extreme crime. They were used to misdemeanors at best. And now there's murder and there's, and there's shootouts and there's browning automatic rifles. And it was all just a mess. And unfortunately, Buck got very seriously injured and died of his wounds in a hospital. Blanche is now blind and has left the gang. It is now down to Bonnie Klein and WD2, also known as Henry Methvin. And now they have an ex-Texas Ranger manhunting them, essentially being their own personal bounty hunter and going to ensure that they are going to be apprehended. And that's where we left off. If you want to hear more, go listen to part one and two. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, but without any ado, we're gonna get straight into it. We're gonna pick up right where we left off. The gang is down to three members, Bonnie Clyde and a kid named Henry Methvin, who is kind of like WD2. He's he's young, he's much younger than, than Bonnie and Clyde. He's essentially the gang intern. But unlike WD, Henry's got a bit of an he's got a bit of an attitude to him. He's a bit sassy. Mm, okay. And he, unlike on WD, who's kind of like, I'm in this situation and I don't know if I want to be here. Henry's like, sign me the fuck up. Oh, okay. He's ride or die. He's ride or die. He's also, remember, they got him from prison. He was already in East Ham prison, so he's kind of used to this brutality. He's used to this kind of life. He's been sharing jail cells and meeting with you know, famous outlaws. He's been hanging out with people, and now suddenly he's with the infamous Bonnie and Clyde. And he's like, this is my ticket to the big time. Yeah. I'm going to be a big time crook hanging out with these guys. These guys know what's up. And they and they did a they did do a successful bank robbery, but when Ray and Joe Palmer were still here, and he's like, this is on the up and up. Things can only get better. Oh, how he! And was now wrong. it's suddenly just you know, so now it's suddenly just the three of them. But he's not deterred. None of them are. They're just like, that's fine. We've run with three before, and everything has turned out fine, for the most part. For the most part. For the most part. But then we're gonna get into something where it did not turn out fine. So, April 1st, 1934, Easter Sunday, the gang was on Duff Road near Grapevine, Texas. So this was apparently a favorite hangout spot of Ray Hamilton, and some of my sources suggested that Clyde actually came here looking for Ray, and I'm gonna say it was either to reconcile with Ray, be like, sorry, like, we do need you for your bank robbing abilities, or it was to kill him. It was one of the two. (laughs) It was, yeah, 50-50. Yeah, they were either gonna be best buds by the end of it, or... One of them was ending up dead. All right. But I guess, fortunately, Bray was not here. He was off with, with Joe Palmer and Mary O'Dare, probably doing many successful bank robberies without Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Well, two motorcycle cops are driving by and they see this parked car on the side of the road. And the officers are Highway Patrolman H.D. Murphy and Edward Brian Wheeler. And they're like, shit, like, this could be bad. Like, this might be people who need help. Yeah. Like, there's a car pulled to the side of the road at night. Like... Maybe they need help. So they, they pull over and they decide to approach. Now, at the time, Bonnie and Clyde were sleeping. So it was our boy, Henry Methvin, who was on watch. And he was like, oh, shit. The cops. It's the cops. They're after me. They know I escaped from East Ham Prison. They're coming for me. So he went to and quickly alerted Clyde, who was like, ah, oh, shit, not the cops again. Like, God damn it. So Clyde's plan was like, okay, everyone will load into the car and we'll just take them on a car chase. We've got our Ford V8 that can go 75 miles an hour. They're on motorcycles that can maybe hit 30 tops. We'll outrun them in a heartbeat. But I guess something got lost in translation here. Either Clyde wasn't quick enough to explain his plan or Henry Methvin didn't care. And Henry Methvin pulled out a gun and shot, killing Officer Wheeler. Just straight up. Okay. Yeah, like I said, this kid, this kid's in it. He's in this world. He, he wants this world. Yeah. yeah. So Clyde was forced to defend himself. Basically, Murphy's like, oh shit, they're, 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 they're killing us. And Clyde was like, oh god, here we go. So Clyde joined into the gunfight and both officers ended up dead. So Edward Wheeler was 26 years old. He'd been serving for four years and he was survived by his four siblings. H.D. Murphy was 22 years old and had only been serving six months, and he left behind a fiancé. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. They were killed by a handgun and a shotgun. Yeah, that's unfortunate. So, the grapevine incident did the Barrow Gang no favors. They were already 
in the shit for the East Ham prison break. Well, now they had just killed two cops in cold blood, as far as people were aware. There was also a supposed eyewitness to these events who skewed the events substantially. What? Yes, yeah, someone claimed that they saw the whole thing and they reported it directly to the Dallas newspapers. And they were like, and the, and the papers were like, oh, cool, we, someone witnessed a, a, a barrel gang gunfight. That's amazing. Yeah. So the first embellishment was that it was Bonnie who killed both officers. Okay. They were like, that small woman, she picked up two guns, she was dual wielding, she went, bam, bam. Oh, wow. Yeah, she she was like she was a loose cannon. What a claim! And I'm like, I mean, I guess like Bonnie's been it. She's hold she's held a gun before. She's been in like the throes of it. Yeah. But the eyewitness also claimed that she laughed when Murphy was killed, commenting that his head bounced like a rubber ball. Okay. This is an embellishment. Bonnie did not do this. Yeah. Just put it down. Oh, my like, jaw hit was... the floor when you said that. I'm like, I can't imagine. I mean, I, they, they were yeah. some brutal people, but I, I also don't see her as like a homicidal maniac in that way. No. And I think that, you know, after the East Ham murder and, and they were no longer these sexy celebrities, they were psychopaths. Yeah. Because only psychopaths break people out of East Ham prison. Only psychopaths could do this. Only psychopaths had the capacity to do this. Yeah. And, and that really was the angle for these new papers. They weren't. They were not those kinds of people they were desperate and they were unlucky yeah but they the public wasn't in their favor anymore they weren't like they weren't team bonnie and clyde anymore it's crazy how some eyewitness te- testimony though can change the whole narrative right but then this eyewitness backpedals he was like actually don't no, just kidding uh-huh. I, I, I i got my story mixed up let me try let me try again so then they claimed that it was still bonnie but she may not she maybe didn't laugh at the head thing that was that maybe that wasn't that wasn't bonnie but they know it was Bonnie because they found a cigar butt with tiny teeth marks at the crime scene. And it could only be her tiny teeth marks. And I think that's very presumptuous. Maybe Clyde had small teeth. Yeah, he was an unassuming man. Yeah, he was 5'5". Five five. <laughs> maybe he had tiny teeth to match. I don't know. That's very presumptuous to think that just because she was a woman, she had tiny teeth. She might have had huge buck teeth for all we know. And they also had this other man that was young. He, maybe he's he, yeah. he still baby teeth. We don't know. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, maybe he's chewing on uh, cigars with baby teeth. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's very presumptuous to assume this. The tiny teeth marks, it must be Bonnie. He was tiny mouth methin. That's, that's yeah. what they called him. So, I mean, like, I can't believe that they just attributed this to Bonnie right away. Yeah, small mouth methin. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, of course, this also came from that famous photo that came out in the, the Joplin magazines where, where Bonnie had the cigar, had the cigar yeah. in her teeth. And so they're like, well, if it's a cigar, it had to be Bonnie because she, she was the chain smoker. She was smoking cigars every day, and that's unladylike. This is a great-A detective work. Yeah, they were like, it has to be. There was a picture of her taking once with a cigar that was not lit in her teeth. She must be a, a, a chain smoker. And they were like, yeah, I guess. Sure. Yeah. So several weeks after the affair, Murphy's fiance wore her intended wedding dress to his funeral. That's so sad. She showed up at, at, her, at her fiance's funeral in her wedding dress that she was planning to marry him in. And then that just kind of completely spiraled the Barrow Gang into Widowmakers. They were like, they're killing like fiancés, they're killing husbands. Yeah. They're, ta- they're deliberately taking away from our, our, our southern values. Yeah. They're destroying homes. And these were people with lives. Man. And I mean, and pretty much all of the embellishments that ever came out in these newspapers, you know, with body, but having tiny teeth and chain smoking and laughing and shooting guns with both hands, they were all very quickly debunked. But the people didn't care. Yeah. Because as far as they were aware, it didn't matter if it was embellished. They were still monsters. Yeah. The facts of the matter is, like you said, it doesn't matter if they laughed, didn't laugh. The facts are people died. They were out there doing those things at, at their hands. Yeah. And that's truly unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, that perfectly said. Like the end result was somebody died, 
and people didn't care how they died. It was just that we know who did it. Yeah. And they deserve to be punished. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the very quick change from romantic Robin Hood couple to monsters, I'm sure, was a bit of like a, a bit of a jarring experience for Bonnie and Clyde. There was also a massive public outcry to catch the gang. They're like, they've been going, they've been running rampant for two years now, two and a half years. They need to be stopped. Yeah. Like, this is this has gone on for too long. People are, too many people are dying. Like, other big-time gangs, they don't have this sort of fatality record. They're robbing banks and, like, and, and everyone's coming out fine. We're just losing money, and that's fine. But they're sticking it to the man. These people are killing small-town families. Yeah. So, suddenly there was a $1,000 reward for the dead bodies of the grapevine slayers. Oh, wow. There is no mention on this reward of them being brought back alive. That wasn't, that wasn't a precedent. They, it was the, for the dead bodies of the grapevine slayers. They're like, we just want the bodies. We just want to prove that the, the, that the killing will stop. Wow. Yeah. So Ma Ferguson saw this and she was like, that's great. I, I've got this lovely wager I've got going on with this ex-Texas Ranger and the, the, the Department of Corrections Director, Lee Simmons. Let's, let's make it spicy. So she added an additional $500 to both Bonnie and Clyde. She really was. She's like, I'll put my money where my mouth is. I, I know they're not going to. Here, let me just throw the, I'll Annie up. Yeah, she was, you know, she was, she was having fun with it. But I'm also, I'm sure, like, after the grapevine killing, she was actually like, well, actually, like, yeah, maybe we should catch him. I don't want the Texas Ranger to win, but, like, yeah. either way, I win. Yeah. If he doesn't catch him, I get to laugh at him. And if they, he does catch him, we lose, like, Buddy and Clyde are off the street. So I, for her, it was really was a win-win. Yeah. So with Ma Ferguson's bounty added to it, this was actually the first time that Bonnie had a specific bounty on her head. Hmm. Okay. Because before it was always both of them. It was Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. They were a set. And, and in truth, like, you could kind of, like, you could catch Clyde and let Bonnie go, and you could still claim the reward, because he was like, oh, she's the doe-eyed woman. Yeah. Whereas this time, Bonnie has a specific $500 specifically on her head, so you have to bring her in to get the 500 Yeah, you need both of them. Yeah. And she has that warrant for the murder for that uh, Malcolm Davis earlier. On top of this, this bounty, and this is the Great Depression. People need that money. People need this money. I mean, and this is also the point where the Great Depression, they're starting to, like, they're putting pieces into play to get rid of the Great Depression, but it's not going to go for, like, another, that gets, we're not going to get out of this until for another six years. Yeah. We're dealing with this. We're, like, we're in the throes of it at this point. I mean, $1,000 now is, you know, like, if someone would be happy to get an extra bonus like that, you know? Like, I, I can't imagine yeah. back then that an extra thousand bucks, yeah, sign me the fuck up, dude. Tell me, tell me who I need to bring in. <laughs> I mean, for a thousand bucks current day, that I'm sure that's, what, like, $22,000 our time? Yeah. That's crazy. That's a lot of money. It's so much money. So, April 6th, 1934. Barrow Gang got their car stuck on a muddy road in Commerce, Oklahoma. So, passerby on high alert saw guns in the car, and he was like, Oh, shit! $2,000, BB! <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so he saw the guns, he saw the car stuck on the road, and he was like, that money is mine, BB. Yeah, slam dunk. And he and he called the police, and he was like, "That money mine, though. <laughs> just, just, just putting it out yeah. there." Well, Chief Percy Boyd and Constable William Calvin Cal Campbell. It's a lot of cows. Yeah. Were called to the scene. So as the cops approached, they spooked the gang, which is never a good idea. No. Don't spook the barrels; they're a flighty bunch. And then they started blasting. And they started blasting. Yes. <laughs> they killed Constable Campbell oh. and wounded Boyd. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Don't spook the barrows. Don't do it. No, having people alert, that's the one thing you don't do. 
They're very, they're very easily spooked. They're very, they are, it's like, don't tap the glass. Mm-hmm. They, they don't like no, it. Don't. They don't like being spooked. They don't like being snuck up on. You gotta give them warning. They're like, hey, we're coming for you, just so you know. And it probably, that probably still wouldn't have worked out better for them anyway. Like, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm honestly thinking that if they were just like, hey, we are cops, don't shoot. I don't think that still would have went well. No, I, I think if they had, no, I mean, they like, needed to have that before. They needed to have the element but, of surprise on there. Yeah, it was more like the, the Barra gang needed to ambush the cops, and then they were more likely to get kidnapped and released. Yeah. But if the cops are like, hey, we have the, uh, the advantage to like, stick him up, it was game but, over. Like, they were going to shoot first and ask questions later. Yeah. So, Campbell was 61 years old at the time. He was a widower, and he was survived by two sons and five daughters. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, big he had a b- big family that he left behind. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate. Uh... So Clyde and Henry grabbed wounded Boyd and loaded him into the car. And then they drove over state lines into Kansas. So Boyd was then released. So he was kidnapped and taken. So they kind of did a little bit of both. They immediately they killed Campbell without a second thought, but then they grabbed wounded Boyd, stuck him in the car, and released him in Fort Scott, Kansas. And they gave him a new shirt, a couple of dollars, and they were like, That's the best we can do. Real sorry about that, buddy. Yeah. Bonnie had a request for him, though. Was it reasonable? It was. It was a very reasonable request, I think. I was like, you know, she's allowed to do this. She said, can you can you tell the world that I don't smoke cigars? <laughs> she's like, I don't. I don't smoke cigars. Yeah. And you stop. Can you can you tell people I don't don't smoke? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very, uh, you know, I am a little ladylike. Yeah. Those tiny teeth ain't mine. <laughs> that's so funny. I love that that's her concern at this point. Yeah, I mean, like priorities, sure, Bonnie. Yep. You've just killed a man, but yeah, yeah, we'll tell the world. That we will you don't clear smoke your cigars. name about the cigars for <laughs> yeah. sure. We will, we will clear all that up. It'll all come out in the wash. Just needs the world so, to know. Yeah, she just wants to know. She doesn't smoke cigars. So when he was questioned about the ordeal, Chief Boyd was very easily able to identify Bonnie and Clyde. He was like, "Yeah, it was definitely Bonnie and Clyde." The I guess the non-cigar smoking Bonnie and small teeth Clyde. He had no clue who Henry Methwin was. He was just some guy. He was just like, some yeah, guy. He Bonnie Clyde and some guy. <laughs> no cigars, Bonnie Clyde and some guy. That was that was who took me. That's so funny. Uh, in reports, he was only referred to as John Doe. John Doe. So yeah, it was Bonnie Clyde and John Doe. I'm sure he loved that. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure Methwin was elated that he was finally rolling with Bonnie and Clyde and he was known as John Doe. Yeah. They, he definitely remembered the message about the, the cigars, but those other guys' names, who cares? We don't need to know. No. I mean, she Bonnie's very charming. She makes very reasonable requests. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to listen to Bonnie, but this kid, Henry Methvin, we don't know who he is. Nah. He's, he's shooting cops. Yeah. Well, Bonnie was in deep now, so any chance that she had for a lighter sentence was just gone. Because now the grapevine murders have happened. Boyd has witnessed Campbell being killed. She's got the bounty on her head. She's got all these mur- murder warrants on her. She's basically, like, she's in it. Before, she was just the getaway driver. She was in the building, but she never killed anyone. She was just sort of, like, she participated, but she never, she was never a murderer. Yeah. And now she was this chain-smoking, gun-wielding murderer, and the hammer was going to come down just as hard as it was going to Clyde. Pretty much, she was guaranteed for a death sentence at this point. There's um there's actually a newspaper cartoon that ran in the Dallas Journal, and it was a picture of an empty electric chair with a sign that said "Reserved for Bonnie and Clyde." Oh, yeah, classy, right? Yeah, that's uh, I'm sure they love yeah. seeing that. Yeah, the, I think that, that they were they were feeling a little uh, 
I'm feeling the pressure for sure. And like you said, what a what a shift comparatively to where like people were willing to let them live in their houses, you know. Yeah, I got an extra room, Bonnie and Clyde. I totally like I like what you guys are doing. Stick it to the man. Like you said, just maybe, you know, lock up when you leave. Like, that's, yeah. that's all, like, you know. Just like, don't shake my car. Just yeah, don't my you car. know, that's like, really, really just stuff like that to, like you said, now the entire public opinion is just like, no, they need to be dead. Yeah, like, we need to catch them. They need to be put on trial. They need to be killed. They need to be, they need to be away. Yeah, they are like, a just, they, Yeah, they're just on the run, and that's stressful. That's crazy. Yeah. So, but this time... Bob Alcorn and Ted Hinton. Remember those boys? Oh my gosh, Hinton. Yeah, Bob Alcorn, who was like, I really, I caught WD, but I want to catch Bonnie and Clyde. And Ted Hinton was like, hey, I know Bonnie. She used to work at the, the, the cafe that I liked. Now yeah. she doesn't work there and I don't go there anymore. And I'm, I'm not a postal worker anymore. They were invited to join Hammer and Galtz, the Texas Rangers. So they were brought in as the next set of the posse. Wow. Yeah. So Bob Alcorn, you know, he, he was a, an accomplished cop at the time. So he, you know... Hammer was like, okay, so one, you've caught, you caught WD, you caught their intern, which is really cool. And you're kind of familiar with their stomping ground. We love that. Ted Hinton, he was like, um... I don't really know how much I can offer you. Uh, yeah, they're just like, well, he's here. Yeah. And, and pretty much they, they recognized that he was able to visually identify Bonnie and Clyde, which made him invaluable. But they didn't trust him. Hmm. Because he was young and inexperienced. He was he was fresh on the force. He was I think I think he was like twenty four at this time. He was like he was a young cop, fresh on the force. He was a postal worker before. But he knew Bonnie. Yeah. And he knew Clyde. So they're like, Well keep him on the team. He's important to the team. We need him to identify Bonnie and Clyde because the rest of us don't know what they look like other than their pictures and they could have changed by now, because that was yeah. a long time ago. But Hammer and Gold and Alcorn they kept secrets from Hinton. They were like, if you don't need to know, you don't need to know. Don't yeah. ask questions. Just do what we say. Just identify Bonnie and Clyde if you see them. Other than that, sit there and shut up. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So now we're in May of 1934, which is where my story began, if you remember. Yes. I was we like, wow, we're already 1934. We made it through the two years. We made it. And we're, it's May. It's May 1934. Clyde has 16 outstanding warrants for his arrest in four states. Uh, some are for robbery, auto theft, regular theft, escape, assault, and of course, murder. Frank Hammer, he just wanted to be the one to cash it in. He had been tracking these guys since February, since Ma Ferguson was like, yep, good luck, buddy. Let's see if you can do it. Yeah. So he had become really familiar with the Barrow Gang's M.O. And he figured out that the Barrow Gang moves in a very large circle. So they're hitting these four or five states in this massive circle, kind of weaving a little bit from town to town. Yeah. But it's consistent. And the other thing that he learned was that there was an intent behind the circle. So the gang would skirt like the edges of five Midwestern states, fully exploiting the flea across the the state line thing. Yeah. And so it was basically they were just keeping in this pocket. So in case anything wrong, they could just just hop over the line. Yeah. Like a yeah. cheap little, like, get-out-of-jail-free card. Ha-ha! <laughs> they just, like, wiggle their fingers and they're not at the noses, you know? Yeah. And and Hammer also found out this was a consistent pattern. So every couple of months, they would just repeat the cycle and repeat the cycle and repeat the cycle. To start in Texas, move into the next state, move into the next state, move into the next state, back in Texas, then do it again, and then do it again. Hammer also figured out that Clyde's driving movements circled around family visits. Oh, 
Okay. Including their newest member, Henry Methvin. Ah. So whoever was in the gang at the time, they prioritized visiting their families while they were driving in that five-state circle. That makes sense. So of course they went to Dallas for, for Bonnie Clyde and a WD. Uh, and then with Methvin now in, uh, Methvin's family was located in Louisiana. And now they know that they've got this John Doe, Henry Methvin character. Hammer's now like, okay, I figured out who John Doe is. Like, I just need to figure out where their next family visit is. I just need to know where he lives. Yeah. And Hammer was about to be handed the golden fucking ticket. Opportunity was a razzin', my friend. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So on May 19th, after a series of Iowa-based robberies, Hmm. the gang finds themselves in Shreveport, Louisiana. Louisiana. Louisiana, where Methvin's family is. So Methvin was sent into a diner to get sandwiches for the gang. Like, you know, what the, you know, all oh, the, no. the, the gang This is just like before do. flashbacks to WD. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. This oh, is God. WD 2.0. They're, I'm sure like they were like, go into the, the store and get sandwiches, WD. And he's like, my name's Henry. And they're like, yeah, that's what we said. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is what was happening. Literally. Oh my God. They, he was on intern duty. He was. So Henry's getting the Sammies and a police officer drove by the diner. And, you know, Clyde spooked easily. He doesn't like that. He doesn't like... And so he, I'm sure he, he just leaves him? Just fucking left. Oh, my without God. Without sandwiches. Oh, he leaves oh, Henry the in the diner. Because Clyde's like, I either shoot this cop because I'm spooked, or I flee. And I'm gonna flee. And he fled. And he fled. And so there's just fucking Henry standing in the diner with three sandwiches. He's like, oh, I guess okay. I three sandwiches. I can imagine him, yeah, like, he, he, he turns around, you know, after getting the sandwiches, and he starts walking back out to the car, and then he kind of gets there, and he's like, guys... <laughs> Hello? Yeah, it's like, buddy? Clyde? Like, where are you? So funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure he stood there for a minute or two. Like, I totally, oh my god, this entire thing. Yeah. So they just like, fucking left him. They left him. But remember, they had a plan. Remember when WD got separated, when he got, when he, when he left, when he, when he got separated? Yeah. They knew where he was gonna go. They had these rendezvous points, which happened to be their families. So, Henry had to go home. And Bonnie and Clyde would meet him at his house. Okay. They would, they would, they would take the long way not to draw attention, but they would eventually make it to Rustin, Rustin, where um, Henry's family lived. Gotcha. But oops, Hammer's looking for that house. Yeah. And suddenly, Methvin's been left in this diner, and he's hitchhiking to his parents' home. Hammer's like, got him. They're going to Henry's house next because he lives in Louisiana. So the Barragans not stupid, right? So they know that going to the actual family home is a terrible fucking idea. Because one, cops are just going to be waiting there anyway. And two, if something goes awry, they're putting their families in danger. So they don't, they never ever actually meet at their family homes. They meet near their family homes, but it's a pre-disclosed rendezvous location that they set up. Gotcha. Yeah. And this rendezvous location is also the plan when they um, do get, get split up. So... You know, if, if anything happened to Bonnie and she she would go back to, to Dallas, go to the rendezvous spot near her house, yada yada, Clyde would come get her. Gotcha. Same, same story for Henry. He's newer in the gang, but they have this established. Gotcha. So, Henry made a mistake. Oh. He went home first. He didn't go straight to the rendezvous site. He went home. Oh, no. And he told his dad, Ivan Methvin, everything. No. He was like, Dad... You're never going to believe it. I'm running with Bonnie and Clyde. They're so cool. We killed a bunch of cops. 
like they're gonna come get me. The rendezvous uh, rendezvous point is exactly here. They left me in a diner, which was crazy. I had some sandwiches. It was fun. <laughs> but don't worry. In a couple of days, Bonnie and Clyde are gonna come get me. And his dad's like, uh, Henry, <laughs> they're wanted in four states for murder. Yeah. Henry's like, yeah, they're not that bad. Like I wanted in one of them. You should, you should, you should meet Bonnie. She doesn't smoke cigars, but she's still pretty cool. Yeah, Bonnie's great. Like <laughs> she, she makes a mean casserole. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So Ivan is also a super concerned dad. You know, Henry's young. He's WD essentially. He's he's young. He, I think he's like, he's I think he's twenty at this point. Yeah. And he also knew the heat that the Barrow Gang was under. And he's like, I don't want my son running with this guy. These yeah. guys, they're 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 scary. As far as he's aware, Bonnie's a fucking chain-smoking hooligan who laughs at people's heads hitting the ground. Yeah, he's like, my, my kid's gonna end up dead out there with them. They don't, they don't yeah. care. Yeah, and he's like, look at the rest of the gang. Look at Buck. Look at Blanche. Look at look at Ray Hamilton. That's look his at own Joe brother. Palmer. And that's... Yeah, like, look what happened to his family. Yeah, he doesn't care. And never mind what's gonna happen to my kid who he doesn't care about. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, as, as most concerned fathers are, he wasn't super keen on his son, one, dying with Bonnie and Clyde, or two getting into the electric chair yeah oh i have it here henry is 22 at this time so he's much younger he's yeah he's he's just a little bit younger than bonnie and he's like four years younger than clyde he's he's really he's a young man he's got his whole life ahead of him and his dad's like i just want my son safe yeah i just want him to be safe so ivan rats him out ivan goes to uh, a lawmaker named henderson jordan and he's like hey i've got a tip i think i know where bonnie and clyde are gonna be and he gives Jordan the rendezvous location in exchange for the promise that Henry would not get the death penalty. Wow. Yeah, he was like, I'm gonna, I can tell you this information. I know where Bonnie and Clyde are going to be, but you got to promise that my boy is safe. Yeah, that's fair. And Jordan is like, consider a done old man. Yeah. So Jordan goes to Hammer, who was like, I fucking knew it. <laughs> I knew they were in Louisiana. <laughs> and... As far as I can tell, I don't know if Henry knew about this deal. It doesn't say anywhere that Henry was aware that this was going on, and I don't think he was. Mm -hmm. I think this was Ivan being like, forgive me, son, I'm doing this for you. Yeah. Hammer and Jordan, they meet up. They finally got this information. Ivan's like, I'll I'll give it to you, but you need to protect my son. And they were like, easy. We'll just go talk to Ma Fergus. It'll be super easy. Yeah. So they make a plan. An ambush, because that's the best way to get Bonnie and Clyde, to get a posse, get an ambush, and now we know where they are. Yeah. We've got the home field advantage. And they got um, they got Ivan in on it, weirdly enough, on a further exchange that Henry would also be free of prosecution oh. in Texas. Okay. So Texas couldn't come for him. So he made the deal that Louisiana couldn't prosecute him, and then... Uh, so he would, he would be safe from the, the death penalty in Louisiana, and now Texas can't pursue his son. So he'd basically like, I'm covering my butt. My son yeah. is going to be as safe as possible. I'll do whatever it takes. I just need to make sure he's okay. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a pretty sweet freaking deal. Like, I would say yeah. that... You know, what a nice dad. Right? This, I'm fine, Ivan, man. He's the MVP of this whole freaking group. Truly. And yeah, I mean, like, Texas is probably going to be the harshest in terms of, like, prosecution. Yeah. And Louisiana's where the grapevine murders are, so that means that Henry can't be pro- prosecuted for this horrible deed that Bonnie and Clyde did that painted Bonnie as this chain-smoking uh, psychopath. And, you know, Clyde's already got that, that title just with 16 warrants out for his arrest. Yeah. So, yeah, he basically just completely cushioned his brother, like, don't worry, Bonnie and Clyde will take the fall for the grapevine murders, and Henry will be good to go. Wow. Hammer obtained a signed clemency from Mar Ferguson to confirm this. So the paperwork was in place. Like, Henry wasn't going to do any time for this. 
and copies were provided to Jordan and Ivan, so everyone was in the know. Ivan had confirmation that if someone was going to be okay. Jordan had this being like, okay, we, we fulfilled our side of the bargain. You've got to do this now, or this will get ripped up. And then Hammer had the last one being like, I've got the final copy. What I say goes, this is my team, and we're going to do it this way. Wow. So, this plan May 22nd. Yeah, May 22nd, the posse was assembled. It's the six men from the beginning of the story. <gasps> yeah, we're all back. six of them are here now, baby. So now we've got Frank Hammer at the lead of the operation. We've got Ted Hinton, the, the, the one who can visually identify. We've got Bob Alcorn, who caught WD. We've got Galt, who is uh, Hammer's best buddy from the Rangers. Now we've got Jordan in on the operation. He's like, I want to cut this pie. I'm the deal maker. Yeah. And we get a guy called Prentice Morell Oakley, who is another Louisiana cop. Okay. So they're kind of, we've got the, these two Texas Rangers. We've got these two low-town Dallas cops... And now we've got these two Louisiana cops, and they have been smashed together into this kind of impromptu posse, but they're like, we're going to be the ones that catch Bonnie and Clyde. All right. And now they've got Ivan Methvin as bait, because they made him say, you're going to participate in this. Oh. You're getting involved. Because now your son's okay. You've got to do your part. So what's the deal? Yeah. So the deal was... Ivan is parking his truck on the side of the road on a Louisiana State Highway 154, south of Gippsland, towards sales. Mm -hmm. If you want to go there, there we go. That's where you want to go. This is kind of, this is close to the rendezvous point where Bonnie and Clyde are going to meet, get Methvin, meet, Methvin can meet his dad. This is where they were supposed to go. Ivan was then handcuffed to a nearby tree to assure his cooperation. Wow. Just so he didn't get any ideas and be like, no, it's a trap. Don't do it. Yeah. He was in it. He was right there. Yeah. In the throes of it. He had front row seats to what was going to happen. Wow. All right. So the posse then parks his, Ivan's truck, partially blocking the road. So it's tilted on the road and it looks like it's broken down. Yeah. So it, it looks like it kind of tried to veer off the road, but didn't quite make it. It looks like it's in some sort of distress. They positioned it also in the direction that they knew Bonnie and Clyde would be coming from. Hmm. So they would—they knew that Bonnie and Clyde would see this and be like, oh no, like somebody needs help. Yeah. They also removed the front right tire. So Clyde would see the truck was in distress and two, uh, they also couldn't use the truck as a form of escape if they somehow managed to get out of the car that they were in. So they basically cut off that form of escape. If anything happened to their car and they hopped into that one, they couldn't go anywhere. That's smart. Good, good forethought. Yeah. And they knew that uh, Bonnie and Clyde knew Ivan Methvin. They'd met him before. They were familiar with him. And they considered him part of the, the Barrow Gang family, as far as they were concerned. Yeah. So 100%, they would see this truck, know it belonged to Ivan Methvin. And they're like, oh, no, that's Henry's dad, and he needs trouble. Yeah. He's, in, he's in trouble. Yeah. He needs help. He needs some trouble. Yeah. He needs some trouble, <laughs> and he's getting it. <laughs> we're bringing the trouble. <laughs> they were sure good at that. They were very good at bringing the trouble, and the bringing the trouble they did. But first... Posse's got to hide. So they hide in the nearby bushes around this thing. Ivan's handcuffs to the tree. The truck's in position. The six men are hiding in the bushes on the side of the road. And they wait. All night. Oh, wow. That's some dedication, man. Sitting in a bush yeah, they all night. were catching these outlaws. If it was the last thing they did. So, it's May 23rd, 1934. 9.15 in the morning. 
The posse is lying away on the side of the road. They were concealed by bushes. And they were actually, at this point, they were getting ready to, like, pack up and go home. They were like, shit, maybe we missed them. Yeah. Not- like, maybe they got wise to the operation. Maybe someone, like, tipped them off. Maybe Henry tipped them off. Like, this is looking real bad. We've been here all night, and there's not a, not a sign of them. Yeah, they didn't bring the sandwiches. They don't have... They didn't bring the sandwiches. Henry ate yeah. them. He ate the sandwiches. Stupid Henry. No. Um, and they were actually, like kind of whispering the bushes like do you think we should go home and they were they were getting antsy they didn't know each other it was these you know these three factions of cops they were like don't really know how i feel about this hinton guy this hammer guy's a loud mouth alcorn wants all the credit yeah and jordan's like well i just gotta make sure that ivan make like henry and ivan get out the other side yeah and i'm sure once one of they, them started to be like you want to pack up it was kind of like oh yeah you know that kind of doesn't sound too bad yeah yeah we're kind of tired you know i've been up all night yeah. and they were literally about to when they heard an engine coming up the road going 70 miles an hour because that's the only speed Clyde did. Oh my god. He only went uh, full speed. You think he would learn from the bridge thing, but no. And lo and behold, there was Bonnie and Clyde speeding down the rural road in a stolen Ford V8, just as Hammer predicted. Wow. They spotted the truck, recognized it as Ivan's truck, and they pulled over to help. They did exactly what they wanted him to do. I'm I'm shocked that that worked so well. I mean, bravo. Yeah. But I mean, this you gotta keep, remember. Hammer studied these guys for months. He was he was in their heads. You know, he was, you know, he he was thinking like Clyde. He was like, Clyde would drive this way. Clyde would do this. They're both injured. They're gonna stop here. They're gonna look for these supplies. This is where their families are. I don't know where their rendezvous spots are. They're the most vulnerable when they think they're going for their family. The closest we ever got to catching them is a posse in an ambush. Here it is, and. It pretty much was like, we have one shot at this. They're in a faster car. They've got better weapons. If we fuck this up, we're dead. Yeah. The six of us in this bush, that's it. We're dead. So, Bonnie and Clyde pulled over, slowed down to help. And I'm going to specify, they slowed down to help. They did not stop. Uh. All hell broke loose. The posse began firing at the car while it was still moving. Oh my god. They didn't check to see who was driving it. They saw the car, saw it was slowing down. It was a Ford V8. They were like, Bonnie and Clyde drive a Ford V8. We're concealed in the bushes. Visibility is low. The dust storms are happening. It's 9.15 in the morning. We're tired. It's now or never. If this is Bonnie and Clyde, we got him. And if it's not Bonnie and Clyde, we're sorry. We will apologize to whoever we just fucking massacred. But we need to go. Because if we give them a second to realize, if, if Clyde's sixth sense goes off, we're, we're done. Yeah. He's going to fucking get out of there and we'll never catch him. Yeah. Oakley fired the first shot. Prentice Oakley. Likely before any order. He was the first one to go. And that was probably everyone was like, oh, shit, we're firing. Yeah, we're going now. Oakley fired, shot Clyde in the head and killed him instantly. Oh, my God. That first shot was the lethal shot that killed Clyde Barrow. Wow. Hinton later reported hearing Bonnie's scream. Wow. So Clyde's like, I'm going to pull over. I'm going to stop. I'm going to help Ivan. And then he's just gone. Jesus. And I'm sure Bonnie had like, she had a second to react to kind of like, what happened? Yeah. Like I'm suddenly covered in Clyde. What happened? And then it's just hell. It's just barrage. So Hammer officially gave the order to shoot. And a hundred and over a hundred and thirty rounds were fired, emptying every single weapon that the posse had oh, into this car. 
they were taking no chances. They had to. They couldn't take a chance because they knew the kind of weapons that Bonnie and Clyde had. They knew what they were going to do if they got any sort of inkling that something was wrong. Yeah. And they didn't know that they've killed Clyde. Yeah. And Bonnie and Clyde have, have survived being shot before. Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde have survived falling into a ravine from a bridge. Bonnie has survived losing essentially a leg. Now, Clyde's been shot. He's been maimed. He's been trampled. He's been, you know, he's he's been through it. They've survived. They wanted so they to, make need sure. to make sure. Yeah. They needed to make sure. So here is a statement made by Hinton and Alcorn after the effect. Each of us six officers had a shotgun and an automatic rifle and pistols. We opened fire with the automatic rifles. They were emptied before the car even got with us. Then we used the shotguns. There was smoke coming from the car. It looked like it was on fire. After shooting the shotguns, we emptied the pistols at the car, which had passed us and run about into a ditch 50 yards down on the road. It was almost turned over. We kept shooting at the car even after, after, after it stopped. We weren't taking any chances. I cannot imagine, like, the actual, like, adrenaline, the fear that these men mm. were feeling in this moment. Like you said, to, to, to continuously, all six of them standing over this car were... I'm sure at some point it was pretty obvious no one was going to climb out of this thing with the amount of bullet holes, and they continued to shoot yeah. just to make and, sure. And, I, it, and it truly, they had no idea. They, there was no way they could have known when the moment that Bonnie and Clyde died. And they couldn't even guarantee that even after they unloaded 130 rounds into this car that they didn't survive. Like... They were, I'm sure, like, even after it was done and the car was just stuck in this ditch. It was still probably harrowing to approach it and just have, look yeah, inside. Yeah, and they're like, and, the, and yeah, even then it's like something, we don't have, all of our weapons are empty. Yeah, yeah that was probably a shock. Uh, yeah, they're like, all of our weapons are empty, we have to approach this car, and if by some miracle Bonnie and Clyde have survived, or that wasn't Bonnie and Clyde, we have to deal with those consequences. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, they'll load the go, and it was just this barrage of noise and adrenaline and and fear and and I need to catch them and I'm going to be the one to catch them and I need to catch them and poor Ivan he's handcuffed to a tree across the road w watching it and he has front row seats to what's happening and he's I'm sure he's like what if they hit me what, what if my son is in that car yeah he doesn't know yeah he has no clue yeah so this was this was this was the end of Bonnie and Clyde, unfortunately. They did not survive the amount of rounds that flew into that car. Overkill to the extreme. Yeah, not surprising. So film footage taken right after this shows about 112 bullet holes in the vehicle, which means a couple of the shots missed. A quarter of these bullets hit Bonnie and Clyde. Wow. According to the official coroner's report, Bonnie was hit 26 times. Wow. Clyde was hit more than 17 times. The coroner also said, I lost count and I got tired after counting the, the amount of bullet holes. So it's possible Clyde was hit more, but the coroner was just like, 17, it's going to do it. Yeah. Both had been hit by several headshots and Clyde's spinal column had been severed. Wow. The undertaker apparently had extreme difficulty embalming the bodies because of the sheer amount of bullet holes in these two. Wow. Yeah. So needless to say, the posse were deafened after that. Six men unloading three different types of guns into a moving car. I'm sure it, it just rang yeah. for like a good moment where it's just you, the, the smoke clear. The car is at a standstill. They're all just standing in these bushes with these empty guns and it's just ringing in their ears. 
God, what a moment. Yeah. Yeah. What an unbelievable moment. So eventually, after they kind of got their a little bit of their hearing back and they kind of regained their composure and like, oh shit, okay. Nobody's coming out. We're not hearing any movement. We're not seeing anything. Nobody's responding. Let's go check this car out. They searched the bullet-riddled car and discovered an entire arsenal of weapons that Bonnie and Clyde did not get the chance to use. And, I, and it, some of them even said, like, seeing the weapons in the backseat of the car really hammered home the, if we hadn't done it, yeah. if we hadn't done what we did, they would have done it to us. Absolutely. And they had much better weapons than the posse did. And they've done it before. They would have not hesitated at all. But... No. As soon as Clyde got that weird feeling, you know he either would have fled or he would have turned. And it, like those six men could have very easily ended up dead on the side of the road. And I'm sure they knew that. They're like, if this goes sour, we're dead. Yeah. No, you have to like, be the one go- to shoot first in this situation. Yeah. You've got to say goodbye to your families the night before. You've got to, you've got to, you can make your peace with, with God, with whatever you, you believe in. And you've just got to commit that, you know, you're going to be in this bush all night. And you might not make it out of that bush. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I'm sure, like, this probably, this whole thing was so surreal. And it, and I'm sure this moment was probably the clearest moment out of the whole event. Because what happens after is just a fucking circus. On top of the arsenal that they didn't get a chance to use, there were also 15 sets of license plates from a variety of states. Wow. Yeah, so they were they were holding onto these bad boy and they were they were rotating these license plates out for because like, I'm sure the Stringtown one where the, oh not the Stringtown one the um when they went visited um, Bonnie's aunt in New Mexico that the it was the the fact that they had an out of state license plate that got them flagged yeah they were like we need to be careful yeah we we need to make sure that we're on top of this shit and I think there was even a quote later from like an old member of the gang who was like they were more often than not Bonnie and Clyde were wielding screwdrivers more than they ever will, uh, wielded guns that's funny it's just like you said changing out license plates and making sure they fit yeah. in. Yeah, because I mean, if if that's like a small step that you have to take to just make sure that you're not caught, then you know it's worth pulling over for twenty minutes on the side of the road and just change out your license plate while you're doing it. Yeah, no, I didn't yeah. even think about that, but it is makes a big difference. It does. Uh, they also found Clyde's saxophone back of the car. Okay, I'm glad he, he was still holding still- onto it. Yeah, I'm surprised he still had it after all this time. Yeah. So in terms of Bonnie and Clyde, however, so Clyde was discovered slumped over the steering wheel. So pretty much died where he sat. Bonnie's passenger door had opened during the onslaught, and she had slid out of the car onto the ground. So she was in the ditch. Wow. Yeah. So Hammer, Jordan, Oakley, and Hinton drove into town to call off the, all of their respective bosses, like, hey guys, you're we never gonna guess what we fucking did. Oh my god. So they left Gott and Alcorn to guard the scene. Okay. So, so there's two of the posse who are at this car they've got a guy handcuffed to the tree across the road and four of them have gone into town to make their respective calls to Texas and Louisiana and Oklahoma and, and all of them be like hey guys and I'm sure Hammer was like I'm gonna call Ma Ferguson first and tell her to fuck yourself like, I gotta, I, I'm gonna tell I did it <laughs> well okay so we're gonna get into the trigger warning now this is the trigger warning for attempted corpse desecration oh gosh yeah, so I forgot just, about it's, that it's quick yeah it's quick but it will it, it, it happened just in case so news spread real fucking quick what had happened I'm pretty sure people could hear it for miles they uh, you know that all of those guns just unloaded at a frequent consistency and then four of the posse come in going we did it we fucking killed Bonnie and Clyde woo yeah. a very large very morbidly curious crowd 
began to form on this little peak in the Louisiana freeway. Oh, and there's two guys to hold him back away from this car. And there are two people guarding this whole thing. And one guy handcuffed to a tree. He was like, my son's free. My son's safe. My son's okay. So one woman managed to cut some of Bonnie's hair. Oh, my God. And pieces of cloth from her dress. That's just like fucked. Which were later sold as souvenirs. She made money off of this. What a horrible person to make money off a tragedy. Anyone dying. I just I don't like that. Ted Hinton returned. He was the first of the four to come back. And he was like, what the fuck, guys? Yeah. He like he came back and immediately stopped a man trying to cut off Clyde's trigger finger. Are you fucking serious? This insane crowd were like, I want bits of them to sell. Because they were such a sensation. They're like, this is yeah. the Bonnie and Clyde. Like... At that point, I don't think people were really looking at them as people. It was just like, no, they, they were they Bonnie were. and Clyde. Like they were, they surpassed, you know, mm-hmm. like that's just insane to think about that someone, someone standing there, a normal person is willing to cut off a dead man's finger to sell it. Like that's a mm-hmm. normal thing to do. Yeah, no, and it's awful. But it was like, like you said, like they weren't people anymore. They were celebrities. Yeah. And, you know, from the beginning, when their rise to fame happened, they were these this sexy, glamorous, beautiful couple. And they were madly in love. And they were like, they, they were basically Hollywood stars. Yeah. And then they became infamous and they were like cold and calculated psychopaths. And people stopped seeing them as humans. They saw them as monsters. Yeah. And they were like, well, they, they kill people. So why can't I hurt them? Yeah. Why can't I take a piece of them? Like they they belong to me. They they may be uh, like they may be unhappy. They they owe me this. Yeah. This this these dead bodies owe me this. And it was like no. Like at the end of the day, they are still people, and they were desperate people. Yeah. No, that's just wild to me. Yeah. So uh, the coroner showed up right after, and he had this to say: Nearly everyone had begun collecting souvenirs, such as shell casings, slivers of glass from shattered car windows, and bloody pieces of clothing from the garments of Bonnie and Clyde. One eager man had opened his pocket knife and was reaching into the car to cut off Clyde's left ear. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. This was, this was what people, there was just people clawing at this car to get, grab what they could before the cops kind of like built this circle and pushed them away because they saw an opportunity here. It, it like, it almost in my head, I'm picturing like a scene from a zombie movie where people are like reaching in to these dead bodies, like just like you said, clawing at these bodies. Like mm-hmm. what a, what a wild scene to observe i cannot even imagine it doesn't matter the like you said the actual person it's it's a person it's a person in a car full of bullet holes and then and not and this car is gruesome it's full of blood yeah like it's full of holes and blood and and painted and just yeah horrible and bonnie and are covered in each other yeah and it's just it's it's grim it's gruesome it's awful well hammer comes back right after this and he's like guys what the actual fuck? Mm-hmm. And he basically, he shouted this crowd into submission. He basically, the good old Texas Ranger was like, you guys need to fuck the fuck up. Yeah. And he and he basically turned this circus frenzy. They were like, we need to get you away from this car. They, they pushed that crowd away. Good. Because that's what Texas Rangers do. They, they mean business. Yeah. But they're also thinking like, how are we going to handle this? So now people know where the crime scene is. How are we going to get as much evidence and, and like, get this scene to where it needs to be, get to get it to a, a mortician, a morgue, a hospital, whatever we need. How do we get it there without this crowd going fucking bananas? Yeah. So they decided to tow the car 
with the bodies of Bonnie and Clyde still inside. Because that's not going to draw attention. But it was the only thing they could do. If they took the bodies out, then the car was exposed. People were going to grab at the car and take things. And if they took the car and left the bodies, then people were going to try and cut off pieces of Bonnie and Clyde. That's true. That's Yeah, so they, they made a decision. We're going to tow the car with the bodies inside of it and get it to the nearest town. Wow, okay. And yeah, it worked. So they took the bodies to Conger Furniture Store and Funeral Parlor in downtown Arcadia, Louisiana. And so this, this was the other the common furniture thing. It was common, common for furniture stores and funeral parlors to be the same thing. And I immediately thought of my episode of Ouija Boards with the coffin maker, furniture maker, undertaker. And I was like, oh, that's just a thing. It, it was, yeah, apparently. That's... Like that, you, you just were a coffin maker, furniture maker, undertaker. That's just what you did. That's, one, one isn't enough to keep you busy. You think people buy furniture every day of the week? No, but people are dying. Yeah. And they were, and they were, they shared a space. There was the, the furniture store was like in like it was in the left side of the, the place, and then the funeral parlor was on the right. It's kind of like you go to the photo studio inside the ball. It was kind of like that. Gotcha. It's like you want to buy a chair, or do you want to go turn in uh, Uncle Jed, who's just passed away from the you know from the pneumonias? Oh my gosh. And we do both. You can get yourself a chair and wait. It's <laughs> <laughs> convenience. Yes, yo. It's just it's just handy dandy. So. Uh, did not come with Ouija board, so that was exclusively an Ohio feature. <laughs> so, preliminary embalming was done by Undertaker C.F. Boots Bailey. Oh, Boots and I'm like, this guys have the coolest name. If you have Schmoot Schmidt, Boots Bailey. <laughs> Boots Bailey. Uh, and he did it in a small room in the back of the store to prepare them for identification. Within hours, the population of Arcadia swelled from 2,000 people to 12,000 people. Are you actually serious? People just came in in waves. That's they, an, and they came in an, an, an enormous amount of people. What? And this was in a span of a couple of hours. And they came in any way they could. They came on horseback, train, some coming in like a wooden wagon. Some flew in. Some got on a plane and flew into Arcadia. This also included Clyde's family, specifically his dad, Henry Barrow. Wow. Because he had to come in and identify his son. Wow. Wow. And here's this circus of people like, I want his finger, I want his ear, I want this, I want this. And he had to just come into this fu- this furniture store and come into this back room and look at this bullet riddled corpse of his son and go, yep, that's him. That, that's my boy. Wow. So, yeah, he identified his son's body. Then he went to the furniture section of the store, sat in a rocking chair and just cried. I can only imagine how just devastating that it, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's his kid. That's yeah, his kid. It is. Because he's also one of the few people at this moment who were thinking about them as people. Exactly. And, and being yeah. surrounded by a sea of people who are being so callous to the situation. Mm-hmm. I can only... Yeah, that is that is just a very tough situation. Because he didn't do anything wrong. No. And this is his second son that he's lost in the span of two years. Yeah. To crime and to the same thing. And I'm sure he held a little resentment toward you know, toward yeah. Clyde for, for Buck's death, so I'm uh, if he knew the extent of it I don't know, but but also, remember, uh, the person who came to identify Buck's body was his mom his dad never got a chance to say goodbye to Buck, he got the news later, so that even so, makes it harder so he didn't even get a chance to say goodbye to Clyde either, so he didn't get a chance to say goodbye to Buck or Clyde his mom got a chance to say goodbye to Buck but Clyde was gone in an instant, he was just snuffed yep 
and it's just this this poor man who and, and I'm sure you know the mother was already distraught from having to what, go in and, and see Buck in the state that he was in with the hole in his head and then Henry Barrow coming in and he's just like I'm gonna do this for my wife I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one to do it and just seeing what they did to his son yeah because like and, you said yeah. you, you have to do it you need to help them identify the body it has to be done there's no one else that can positively identify but that is just yeah a horrible thing to have to for a parrot to have to go through well speaking of just in case it was the grief of the situation that skewed the thing they got as many people who were familiar with bonnie and clyde as possible to come in and identify the bodies ah. and bonnie's family wasn't immediately available to come identify the bodies, so they were looking for like has anyone been associating with them that, that, that that's out that we can just bring them in and have a look at these bodies yeah so do you remember mr darby mr darby the undertaker who chased the Barrow gang because they stole their car right in front of him. The one that Bonnie asked so kindly if he would be the one to take care of them after they yeah. were gone. Yeah, that guy. He was in the town over and he was confirmed to have been familiar and friend on friendly terms with Bonnie and Clyde after they stole his car. So they grabbed him and Sophia Stone from the town over Ruston, Louisiana and they were like, hey... We think Bonnie and Clyde, we've just killed them. Can you come in and have a look? Wow. And they were like, oh shit, I promised Bonnie. I'm going to come over right away. I'll be right there. And he came to Arcadia, Louisiana, and he assisted Bailey with the embalming. He fulfilled his promise. He kept his promise. He kept wow. his promise. And I'm like, wow, Darby. Wow. But yeah, so he also successfully identified Bonnie and Clyde, helped Bailey during the embalming. He kept his promise. Bonnie and Clyde were officially proclaimed dead on May 23rd, 1934, a Whit Monday. Oh, which is the other weird twist <laughs> to my Erdington thing. Bonnie was married to Thornton and she died on a Whit Monday. It's so weird. That is really weird. <laughs> so I'm just saying, if you know someone named Thornton, be careful with them on Whit Monday. It's all I'm saying. Be careful with them. Oh. Be careful with them. We can't. Just. So Bonnie was 23 years old when she died. Clyde was 25. Wow. They're babies. They really were so young. I can't even... Im- well, and the, They're younger than us. The lives that they lived, like, even up until yeah. this point, I mean, they did a lot of living. A lot of running and, and a lot of... Yeah. Oh, wow. And, I mean, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, Bonnie was married at 15. She was living since, let's say, 15. Yeah. I could it's just and Clyde you know he was he was stealing chickens with his brother and it, it was it's it was such a quick turnaround from when he was you know just quickly loading that safe into that truck with his brother and his brother got shot in the legs to how this went down I yeah so it is a very very tragic ending to a tragic story to be honest with you it is and it's a very surreal experience you know you know from the beginning you could never see how this was going to go and I don't think Bonnie and Clyde ever expected it, this to be the way that it was going to go no but I really, I, it's weird how I think public perception of them has continued to not paint them as people. I mean, even think about your perception of who Bonnie and Clyde were before this. It, to me, they were just names. I did not yeah. know of who they were as individual. I could not put a face to a name. I had no idea. They were, mm-hmm. they were an enigma. They were a story. And yeah. that has carried on for a long time. And it's, I think it's very important to actually learn the story, good or bad or otherwise. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think about, you know, when I saw that this was, I saw this and I was like, I want to do this. And my only perception of Bonnie and Clyde was they were bank robbers and they died in a shootout. But I assumed that they died fighting. Yeah. 
and this, they had no chance. Yeah. This was this was instant. No, I imagine them, you know, him dipping dip, dip her down, giving her one last kiss, and going, "All right, baby, we're gonna go out guns a blazing." And they go out there double pistol. You know what I mean? Like it's a yeah. It's like a movie. That that to me was. Not anticlimactic, but just so unexpected comparatively to what this entire journey has taken us on. It was just like, wow, like that really is how it's going to end. And I mean, that's what it took. It yeah. it wouldn't have ended any other way. No, and and it really was like they weren't going to die in, in a gun shootout. They 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 were lucky. They were lucky to a fault. Yeah. And and they they were they outgunned everyone that they went against because they had the BARs. And so really, this was the only feasible way that they could get out with the least amount of casualties. But it's so strange where you create this illusion of Bonnie and Clyde. And they're, and they're, they're basically you know, they're the perfect outlaw. They're sexy. They're beautiful. They're misunderstood. They're sticking it to the man. And then they just, they're just gone. Yeah, just and like that. And there's no, there's no, there's no fanfare. Like you said, they, there, there was no, like, it's you and me, baby, us against the world. We're going to go out guns a blazing. They didn't even get they to say even, goodbye to each other. They, in a minute, it was just over. Yeah, they were just pulling over to help their a, a gang member's family member because they did. That's what they did. They cared for their family. Yep. And if you were in the gang, you were family. That's just and crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, what a wild ride, ma'am. Thank you so much well, for doing the research done. with this. We're one. not done yet, ma'am. What? We're not done. I've got I've got gang members to talk about. I guess that's true. We do have some loose ends. I need to. And I haven't even talked about their funerals. Yeah, I want to know what happened to Blanche. Tell me what happened to Henry. I right. need to know. I will tell you everything about the gang that I know, but first we're going to talk about their funeral and burial. Okay. So after the ambush, the arrangements for Bonnie and Clyde were made, like, immediately. Okay. Bonnie and Clyde had made it very clear to all of their family members and all of their acquaintances that they wanted to be buried side by side. They wanted to be together just as much as they were in life. They wanted to be together in death. And, you know, because they loved each other. Understandably, yeah. Yeah, and Bonnie's family were like, yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Part, I'm sure it was partly because, do you remember, Bonnie, you're married to somebody else. That's true. And also, I think Bonnie's parents were a little bit, they were a little bit spiteful. Yeah, like this guy dragged you into this life. Yeah, like you could have been anything. You could have been a, you know, a beautician. You could have been a poet. You could have been this. You could have been this. You could have made it in Hollywood if you had tried. And instead, you chose this life of crime with, with what they thought was kind of a loser. Yeah. You know, he was a bumbling. He wasn't a, he wasn't a, a big time crook. He wasn't robbing banks. He was robbing funeral parlors, gas stations, and grocery stores. Yeah. And I'm sure like when they got the news that Bonnie had been killed in, in, a, in a police-related accident... I'm sure they were very vengeful. They were like, there is no way we are sending our baby daughter off with this guy. Yeah. Like, we're, he does, she doesn't belong to him. She belongs to us. She's our family. Yeah. She's Bonnie Parker. Yeah. She wasn't Bonnie Barrow. That's just a nope. That's just a nope. Yeah. So her mother tried to bring Bonnie back to the family home. So they went all the way up to, to Louisiana. They got Bonnie's body and they tried to bring her back home. But the sheer swarm of people that had surrounded the Parker home made that physically impossible. Wow. Bonnie never got to go home. Wow. Yeah. Bonnie's funeral was on May 26th, 1934, and 20,000 people attended. What the fuck? 20,000 people attended Bonnie's funeral. That's... And her family struggled to even make it to her gravesite. That was how many people there were. Their family couldn't make it to the gravesite. I mean, as tragic as that is for the family, why do I have a feeling that Bonnie would have loved that? Oh, Bonnie, I'm sure would have eaten that up. She was like, I made it, Ma. I'm famous. Uh, 120,000 people at her funeral. She would have 
like you said, just eating that up. That's yeah. wow. Some of my sources said that Bonnie wanted to be a film star. She wanted to be on the screen. She wanted to be a, a movie star. Yeah. And but she knew that because she was dirt poor from West Dallas, and she was no way she was one had the money to get to Hollywood, and two, like she just she didn't know how to how to do it. She didn't know how to get there. She had no plan. So she really like I think the celebrityism of Bonnie and Clyde. I think she adored. I think she loved being in the papers and seeing these 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 vacation photos of her and, and Clyde essentially. And she was like, I, I made it. I may not be famous for what I wanted to be famous for, but I'm famous. Yeah. And that's enough for me. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Bonnie, I'm sure, was like, if, if there is a, a heaven or if, if, if wherever she was, I'm sure she was like, damn right, I had 23,000 people at my funeral. Right? Yeah, that was a, an accomplishment for her. That was an achievement she wanted. Yep. Thousands upon thousands of flowers were sent. A lot of them were from other outlaws. <laughs> yeah, they were like whoops sorry Bonnie like that was really all that was awful we really liked you we loved they everyone loved Bonnie everyone loved Bonnie yeah so she got a bunch of flowers from outlaws she got some from fans these other like young aspiring women who were like I can't wait to meet my Clyde but the I can't wait to meet my Clyde oh my god I mean hashtag Romeo and Juliet vibes like there's there's women that do that fall for this oh I'm sure and I'm sure like the the actual like like the like I think we were talking about the actual like information about how they died. I don't think that was probably ever properly released. It was probably just they died in a shootout. Yeah. And and that was probably all that was said. People were like, oh, it's so romantic. They went out together. Yeah. And, and people ate that shit up. Oh, 100%. Which is why the largest noticeable uh, donations of flowers were from newspapers. Wow. Because newspapers sold 500,000 newspapers alone from the news of their deaths. Yeah, and so they were just like piling on, going, wow, look at all these flowers and everything. But they're the ones that bought the flowers. They did it yeah. just to write another article. Yeah, but they're like, oh, we got all this money from, from writing this article about your death. Here you go. Here's some money back to you. Here's all these flowers. Thank you for giving us all these profits. Yeah. In the depression. In the depression. So tragedy sells. I'm it sh- doesn't matter what time it is. It does. And, you know, in, in truth, if if you're a newspaper article, your, your, your agency is about to go under and then suddenly there's this headline story and you're the first one who can get that information out that Bonnie and Clyde are dead. That's going to save you. Oh, yeah. That's going to save you. Oh, yeah. And it really comes down to it was it was me or them, and I wasn't gonna let it be them. I'm gonna let it be me. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bonnie was originally buried in Fish Trap Cemetery, but her body was moved in 1945 to Crown Hill Cemetery in Dallas. You can go visit her grave. Wow. Her grave marker reads, "As the flowers are all made sweeter by the sunshine and the dew, so this old world is made brighter by the lives of folks like you." What a beautiful little saying to put on the grave of yeah that's really nice i wonder if that's po- i wonder if that's poetry she wrote i, I didn't have a chance to, to check but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was something that she wrote yeah that is very nice yeah so bonnie's niece is her last surviving relative and is actually actively campaigning right now to finally bring bonnie and clyde back together and to put their graves together yeah so so they can be reburied together because right now they're both of their wow. graves are a little bit of a uh, state of decay so like it's kind of like well, do we restore her grave or do we move it like can yeah. i yeah can i can i exhume her body and finally bury her and clyde wow. together you know i i mean i i understand both perspectives of it because it, i mean yeah when your family member dies and you feel like this person is you know partly responsible for that and their demise i yeah no fuck you i'm not letting you anywhere near this person but also it was her it was her yeah. dying wish to be married next to be buried next to him 
So who are you to yeah. kind of def- defy that wish? It was her wish. So I kind of, I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know how I, how I feel yeah, on that I, one. Yeah, it's a tough one. And I think, I think a lot of personal feelings got in this decision. And of course, you know, Bonnie really, really loved Clyde. And I think, you know, say what you will about Bonnie and Clyde, you know, say that they killed a bunch of people. But I do think that they deserve, I think that, you know, if they want to be buried together, that was their choice that they made, that last choice that they made when they were alive. I think that's, that's, you can't just disregard someone's dying wish just because it doesn't make you feel I do right. agree with that. I think, like you said, th- there is certain things that you honor in life. I mean, we give, you know, certain prisoners last meals yeah. and things like that. Someone's dying wish of what they want to happen to their own body is their choice. Yeah, it's, it's, and it is, yeah, it's their decision. They're the ones that, you know, that's yeah. them. And they're people, and just because they're 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 dead doesn't mean that they stop being people. And I think that's the the lesson yeah. to learn. So, Clyde, Clyde had a much more private cemetery because his family was very very poor. They were poorer yeah. than Bonnie. He had a private funeral, and that was on May twenty fifth at a sunset. His body was buried in Western Heights Cemetery in Dallas, right next to his brother Marvin. Mm. And he shares an epitaph with him, and it says, "Gone, but not forgotten." simple and like I said both of their graves are in mass disrepair now the stones are like severely weathered Uh, I think one of them is sinking into the ground so yeah it's kind of like you know they were these huge celebrities and we're still idolizing them to this day and they're not being taken care of they're they're there and they're not being taken care of so it it does feel a bit weird strange yeah so weirdly enough American National Company of Gavelton paid Bonnie and Clyde's life insurance Yeah, their family's got a payout. Wow, okay. Yeah. I didn't know you got one when you got, we're in a police shootout. Policies have changed now, but back then, because it wasn't suicide and it wasn't like they were killed committing a crime, they were just killed by the police. Yeah. So technically it was an accident. So by all means, like they were fully entitled to pay out this release. So the, the policies have changed now. Um, payouts can be revoked if deaths are caused caused by a criminal act by the insured so if if their death is a direct um consequence of a criminal act that they performed the company doesn't have to pay out but that wasn't a law before interesting so i bet you're asking how about that reward money that they were promised yeah that that 3k that sweet sweet 3k well at the point that when bonnie and clyde were killed that had that had gone up a little bit uh, the six men in the posse were promised quite a prize from all states. So not only did it was it that original two thousand dollars from Bob Ferguson in Texas, like it had been ramping up every time, every day that they were out, more and more money from various organizations were just piling money onto this reward. Wow. And the six men in the posse were promised quite the prize for killing them. They were like, like this, this could like they could retire on this money. Yeah. Hinton said with all of the bounties and rewards out there, they were looking at $26,000 each. Wow. And back then? Each. Oh my god. Yeah. That's like half a million. Yeah. Unfortunately, when it came time to collect, most of the organizations who'd promised the little pretty penny were like, ooh, c- crazy. I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't think you guys were going to do it. Um, actually promised money to that other guy, so... Super awkward. Uh, don't have any money. But good job, though. Yeah, great job killing Bonnie and Clyde. But whoops, don't have any money for you. Wow. So in the end, each member of the posse was paid about $200. That's unforgivable. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But because they never got their bounty, and I guess 
the, 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 the everyone was feeling a little bad for them. They're like, they killed Bonnie and Clyde. Like, I feel like we should give them something. Instead, the posse was told that they could take whatever they wanted from the confiscated items in Bonnie and Clyde's death car. I'm sure. Yeah, they could have anything they wanted from the death car. Okay, so... Yeah. Hammer took one look at the guns and was like, yoik, those are mine. Yeah. Yeah, suddenly get a couple of BIRs. I'm sure he was like, I'm done, I'm happy. Yeah. He also took some fishing tackle, which I thought was kind of funny. I'm surprised they had any. He's going to retire on his $200. He's going to go fish. Good for him. Sure. Um, in July of that year, Clyde's mother, Kumi, wrote Hammer a letter and was like, hey, can I have my son's guns back? Like, they're not yours. I, They're my guns. Oh. They belong to our family. And her argument was that Clyde was never tried in a court of law, so was never found guilty. So, Those by law, his they couldn't... Possessions. Yeah, they, by law, you can't just take someone's possessions. Wow. And uh, Hammer, Hammer never responded to that. He just kept the guns. Well... Yeah. yeah. Alcorn found Clyde's saxophone, and he was like, I'll take that. I like saxophones. I'm, I'll learn to play. Sure. Uh, but I'm sure he heard what happened with Hammer, and he was like, actually, no, I'm going to give that saxophone back to the, the Barrow family. Like, here, have this saxophone. So okay. he gave that back. Okay. They also divvied up Bonnie's clothes, which I'm like, that's a choice. Yeah. Um, Parker family asked for those back, and they were refused. Oh, that, that they straight up were like, yeah, no. Yeah, they were like, we're keeping Bonnie's clothes. She like, she she dressed real nice. Yeah. Oh, these are and, worth a lot of money. And yeah, and they sold them as souvenirs. Yeah. They sold all of Bonnie's clothes as souvenirs. I'm sure, just because they're Bonnie's clothes. Yeah. Um, there was also rumors that there was a suitcase of cash in the car that was taken. Hmm. And Jordan used it to buy a barn and land in Arcadia. There is no evidence of the suitcase. But the barn purchase and the land purchase are real. So Jordan did buy land right after this. With some unknown money. But there's no, ev- there's no evidence of money. So huh. you know, do with that what you will. So he might have just, you know, he might have spent that $200. Like, I got $200. I'm going to buy a barn. <laughs> or there was, and it was very like, we can keep it, but just don't say anything. Mm. So um, criminal law was also revolutionized after this. Uh, bank robber and kidnappings were made federal offenses because they weren't that before. Yep. Yep. Um, it also encouraged co- uh, coordination with local authority by the FBI. So now the FBI could be like, hey, small town police forces that have no training, we're going to like bring you guys in and we're going to help you. So now all of these other like little cities are talking to each other. It's not just like I have to get onto a payphone and call. Yeah. Like now we all have these, we have ways of communicating. They also added two-way radios in police cars because that wasn't a thing before. Ah. So now... People can radio, but like, hey, I've been kidnapped by Bonnie and Clyde. Please yeah. send help. Yeah. Wow. So this made robbery and murder very difficult to commit because now people are like, hey, I can just radio. If you're going to do the, the state line jurisdiction hop, I can just call the next state over and be like, hey, they're on this road. Go get them. Yep. Wow. So they, so they made some big changes. They did. It also led to a large string of other outlaws getting killed and arrested. But those are those are for other episodes. There's, there's so many of them. So. Death car. Let's talk about the death car. Yeah. It was a stolen car. Of course. Surprise, surprise. It was a brand new 1934 Ford V8 four-door deluxe sedan. And it had been bought earlier in the year by Mr. and Mrs. Warren, who left it in their garage in Topeka, Kansas. Oh, gosh. And did they want their car back? Well, Clyde saw it. He was like, yes, please. And they were like, you know, that's our car. (laughs) That's my car. Yeah. Uh, I'll say it here now. Clyde was had a huge thing for for Ford V8. I think I mentioned this earlier. He loved 
the Ford V8 cars because they were fast and he loved fast cars, but he loved them so much that he actually wrote a letter to Mr. Ford himself in April 1934, right before he was killed, what? about how much he liked the cars. Wow. I have the letter. What? I like that during this whole thing, he's like running on the lamb, you know, and he's just like, you know what, I just, I would really love to so show my appreciation for this guy who has made my getaway car driving so just smooth and gracious. Really much, yeah. Ford also used this letter later to sell more Fords, so, you know, capitalism. <laughs> Woohoo! So here's the letter. Well, I still have got breath in my lungs, I will tell you what a dandy car you make. <laughs> I have drove Fords exclusively when I could get away with one. For sustained speed and freedom from trouble, the Ford has got every other car skinned. And even my business hasn't been strictly legal, it doesn't hurt anything to tell you what a fine car you've got in the V8. Oh my god. So there you go. Wow. Well, Officer Jordan, the one who bought the barn with the suspicious money, um, he tried to call dibs on the car itself. So like when everything was being divvied up, he's like, I want the car. Like, it's a, it's a Ford V8. Like, I can just patch those bullet holes up, no problem. Yeah. Well, Mrs. Warren was like, I don't think so. That's my car. <laughs> and Jordan was like, I'm so sorry, ma'am. And he returned the car. Well, he returned it still covered in blood and body tissue. Oh, he's like, yeah, here Didn't you go. It. You want this car? Here you go, ma'am. And she was like, oh, great. Now I have to clean this. Yeah. I'm sure he would have cleaned it if it was his, but no. Yeah. The car still worked. What? It still ran despite being riddled with over 112 bullet holes. Ruth Warren drove the car from Arcadia to Shreveport and then trucked it back to Topeka oh in Kansas. Oh my god. Yeah, the Ford, so, Ford should be proud of that one. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you can shoot it 112 times and it'll still run just fine. Oh my god. So, now if you have a bullet-riddled bloody new car, what do you do? Uh, I've never been faced with this predicament, so I honestly don't have a good answer for this one. What do you do? You turn it into a traveling attraction. Of course. Oh. You take it on the road and you show people the death car that Bonnie Clyde were murdered in. For sure. Why didn't I think of yeah. that? Yeah, it's a great way to make a buck. It sure is. It was displayed at fairs. It was displayed at markets. It was taken to amusement parks. It was even displayed at a Nevada racetrack. And you could pay a dollar to sit in it. Okay. You could sit in the death car. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I feel about that. So, 1988, a casino named Prim Valley Resort and Casino near Las Vegas bought the car for $250,000. Wow. The car is still on display. You can go to this hotel and you can see the death car with all of its bullet holes and the shirt that Clyde was wearing when he was killed. They are presented next to each other in this casino. Wow. You can go there. It's it's um, in Prim, Nevada, along Interstate 15. So if you live there, go see Bonnie and Clyde's death car. You know, I'm not too far. I might go. Yeah, there you go. Go go see the death car. Wow. Uh, I also found out the original prices of the car, so you can, I can kind of tell you how much it was all paid for. Yeah. So the original price of a Ford V8 was $575 in 1934. Holy crap. That's $5,026 in 1988 when it was bought by the casino. Mm -hmm. It's worth $12,114 in today's money. That would be what it was worth. So it was bought for $250,000 in 1998, which is $604,000 today. Jesus. Holy crap. All right. That is an expensive so car. It really is. I mean, it's all it's all part of the Bonnie and Clyde image. Yeah. Wow. All right. So let's talk about the gang. We're here. 
Let's talk about it. And I need to know what happened to Blanche. Okay. <laughs> okay. So yes, let's talk about the remaining gang members and people in close proximity. So we'll yes. kind of go a little bit in order. Uh, I want to know <laughs> so, Blanche. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. So let's start with Roy Thornton. Sure. Our, our lovely Erdington connection. So... At the time of Bonnie and Clyde's death, Roy Thornton was in prison. He was Since he was put in prison and Bonnie and Clyde split up, he was still in prison. Oh, okay. In 1933, he had two sentences, a five-year one for robbery and 50 years for armed robbery and kidnapping. Wow. Yeah. Without parole, I might add. Um, He was looking at about a release date in 1983. It was kind of when they were like, you'll probably get out here unless we pardon you earlier because we're overcrowded. That's the thing we do. Yeah. Roy Thornton was like, I don't want to wait to be pardoned, and I don't want to wait until 1983. So, a week after being put away, he successfully escaped from Ellis County Jail in Waxahachie, but he was recaptured almost immediately. Oh. He then attempted to escape again in 1934, but this one was far more disastrous. During the jailbreak, guards opened fire on the escapees and injured a bunch of them. Oh, no. Roy was not injured, though. But wow. But it was just a bit of a massacre. Yeah. So the press claimed that he was obsessed with Bonnie, and that was the motivation for the jailbreak. He's like, she's with the wrong man. I'm her husband. I, I must return to her. I was literally just about to ask, was he aware of her escapade? Like, he's in jail as her actual husband, and she's just gallivanting, being famously in love with another man. Like, that's gotta yeah. not make him feel good. I, As far as I'm aware, he was fine with it. He was like, yeah, we split up. She can do what she wants. We just didn't get a divorce, but huh. we're separated. Like... She's living her best life. I'm in, I'm living my almost best life in prison. Yeah. And I think this was also a common thing, you know, with Mary O'Dare and Ray Hamilton later. You know, she was still married to a guy, Gene O'Dare, in prison. And she was just out, and that was just a thing that she did. You know, she was allowed to date. I think that was kind of like the rule, is if you were in prison and you were with your gal, she could just go off. And I think that was something that Clyde was afraid of, was when he was in prison, he was afraid that Bonnie would do the same thing. Gotcha. So I think there's a bit of that. But as far as I'm aware, he was like, no. She's living her best life. She's happy with, with Clyde. Good for her. Okay. But she'll always have that tattoo of my name on her thigh. Well, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, in 1934, when he heard of Bonnie's passing, um, he was quoted in a United Press news article saying that he was glad that Bonnie Clyde went out the way they did. Yeah. He said it was much better than getting caught, which I think is kind of the mentality of the world. It's like, you either died in a shootout or you were caught and put in an electric chair. Yeah. So... The alternative, like you said, just yeah. So, I th- he was he was happy they went out the way they did. Yeah. Okay. His final escape attempt was on October third, nineteen thirty-seven. Over a dozen inmates attempted to get out, and during the escape, Roy Thornton was shot to death by guards. Oh. He was buried in Hutchings Alston Hayden Family Cemetery in Weldon, Texas. Nineteen thirty-seven. So, four years, no, three years after after Bonnie. So let's go to Ralph Fultz. If you remember yeah. Ralph Fultz, he was uh, he was the one of the early boys. Yeah. What's he been um, up to? Yeah, he's just been chilling. He's just there. Uh, no. So he was captured in March 1932, and he was sentenced to 10 years in May. Um, he was then pardoned by Ma Ferguson oh. in 1935, January 10. Okay. So she was like, yeah, you know, I guess you ran with the Barrow game, but they're dead now, so it's fine. Yeah. So Fultz then reunited with his old butter, Ray Hamilton. And they had a brief stint of robberies from January to March. Okay. On March 19, 1934, Hamilton and Fultz gave an interview to the Houston journalist talking about treatment inside of the Texas penal system. Then right after the interview, the two robbed a grocery store in San Antonio. (laughs) Perfect. 
Um, they then headed to Mississippi, but they stopped in Louisiana to visit the site where Bonnie and Clyde were killed. Ah. They then robbed a bank in Mississippi. Okay. <laughs> so just, in honor of Bonnie and Clyde. They were just like, In honor of Bonnie. They are like, this is, what, this is what they would have wanted. <laughs> would have wanted. Um, yeah, it's like, instead of pour one out for the boys, it's rob a bank for the boys. <laughs> rob a bank for the homies. Yes. Yeah, so after this robbery, Ray and Ralph were separated, and Ralph headed to Kentucky, and Ray headed back to Texas. Okay. Ralph then got word that Ray had been arrested at Fort Worth, and immediately turned around with plans to save his partner from the electric chair, but he did not succeed. Oh. He was captured by police on April 17th, and was sentenced to 50 years at the Parchment Prison Farm, which is not East Ham, but is still pretty bad. Yeah. Um, he was put in solitary for a brief stint before being pardoned in 1944. Then he became a security guard in an orphanage. Oh. Because that they don't do background checks there. I guess they were like, he's, he's reformed, he's pardoned, he's, he's clear slate, he's did his time. Sure. It was, it, yeah, it was like, yes, it was like, you know, like, we're not going to judge you. Just because you ran with the Barrow Gang and you've been in, you were sentenced to 50 years, you didn't kill anyone. Sure. You didn't kill anyone. Sure. He converted to Christianity and then frequently spoke to the children about the evils of a life of crime. Oh, I mean, I guess if he actually was reformed, then good. I guess he was in the right place then. Yeah, I think I think he was tired of prison. I think he was tired of that life. And now in the 40s, the Great Depression's over. There's no glamour to being an outlaw anymore. It's not you're sticking it to the man. You're Now you're just being a petty theft. Like, it's yeah. just you're just being a criminal. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think when he was released in 44 and he saw that times were changing, he was like, all right, well, I either become a security guard in an orphanage or I go to, go to war. And I was like, I think he was, I, which one was more favorable? Yeah. Wow, so, interesting. Well, yeah. I'm glad he, I, I'm, I'm actually glad with this shitty system that they had in place, you know, actually having someone come out the other side of it reformed and wanting to do better, that's, I'm proud of him. Yeah, good for Fultz. Yeah. Uh, in 1960, he helped create a TV show called Confession. And the show was a discussion between Fultz, representatives of the Texas State Board of Pardons and Paroles, representatives of the state prison system, former inmates, business people, and attorneys about life back in the, the outlaw days, and the importance about getting second chances. Wow, okay, so he really went on to drive that yeah. point home of like, yeah, you know what, this this is really important, this is true to my heart, and I'm, I'm gonna speak my truth. Yeah. I love that. I, for yeah, him. And, it, and I'm sure it, them having it like we, this was a former member of the Barrow Gang. Like how cool! And he's reformed. And he's yeah. like, yeah, that was a, it was a time. Yeah. Wow, that is yeah. shocking to say the least. Yeah. So Fultz died on March 16, 1993, at the age of 82. Wow. So he lived a long life, and I think because he left the Barrow Gang when he did. I think it saved him. I think him getting arrested with Bonnie back in the day, that really saved him. That was, that, that, that 10 years was really what he needed. Yeah. That's crazy. So, yeah. So let's talk about Ray Hamilton and Joe Palmer, speaking of them. These two boys, they're kind of lumped together because uh, pretty much as soon as they left um, the Barrow Gang together, they were pretty much inseparable. Okay. So if you remember, Ray Hamilton had a very hot, cold relationship with the Barrow Gang. He was constantly in, then he was in vacation in Michigan, then he was back in, and then yeah. he was doing this, and then he was back in, and then he was fighting. So, he and Clyde fought mercilessly, but Ray also never said that they weren't enemies. They just, they were equals, and they disagreed. Two and unfortunately, dogs, when it, you know? Yeah, and unfortunately, when you're doing something that's so high risk, you need to be in sync. Like, someone needs to be in charge. Yeah. And unfortunately, they were equal, so it just wasn't working. Um, Ray left the gang after several disputes, mostly about the cut for his girlfriend, Mary O'Dare. Um, after the last split with the gang, he went on a brief run with Joe Palmer. Uh, but Ray and Joe were captured on April 25th, 1934, right oh, no. before Bonnie and Clyde were killed. Oh, wow. 
they were sent to the death house in Huntsville, which was another Huntsville prison. Oh, okay. Which was essentially, like, it was a prison famous for its death row. Oh. Um, yeah, and they were uh, put on death row for the death of the prison guard during the prison years because they couldn't figure out if it was Palmer or, or Hamilton who killed that that guard. So they just... So they just, they just like, yeah, you're both of them. Like, both of you are going down for this. Unless one of you confesses, you're both going down. They were like, we need the rivers did it. Wow. Um, yeah, so because they couldn't figure out which of the two killed the guard, they decided to charge both. Ray and Joe successfully escaped from the death house. Oh. And I believe that they were the first ever on death row to escape the death house. Wow, okay. They went on the run with Ralph Fultz for a, a brief stint, if you remember. Ralph Fultz, they, they did that interview and then they, they, they did the thing. Yeah. Um, they robbed the banks. They poured one out for the homies. Um, they were captured in Fort Worth. But this time the authorities were sick of them. They were just like, you guys need to stop. So they were sentenced to the electric chair on May 10th, 1935. Ray's last words were, well, goodbye, all. All right. And Joe Palmer followed shortly after. God, what a way to go. Yeah. So let's talk about WD. Oh, gosh, yeah, WD. I know he got out at a good time, too. Yeah, he got very, very lucky. So when we last left WD, he was arrested on November 16, 1933. He was picked up by Bob Alcorn, one of the members of the posse, and a guy called Ed Castor, and he was detained without incident. I'm pretty sure he saw them coming, and he was like, just take me away. Like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, and it was basically, he was ratted out by an acquaintance. Um, he was quick to tell the officers that he was a minor, and also an unwilling member of the gang. He's like, I'm not 18 yet, they kidnapped me, they forced me to be in their gang, I'm an unpaid intern. <laughs> like, like, cut me some slack. Yeah. And he spun this tale where he was forced to ride at gunpoint. Mm. At night, he was chained to trees and bumpers of the cars at night. Uh... If this is, I mean, if this was a tale, he was very smart because he really painted himself as this sort of like, like reluctant a victim. victim. Yeah, yeah, he was he was, uh, he was the longest standing victim of the Barrow Gang. And if yeah, like, but if, if it is, a, if, but yeah, it was a tale. But if it wasn't a tale, this was hell, and this yeah. is what he was living. And of course, he tried to. He escaped twice. I mean, so yeah, like, it is kind of crazy. Like you said, that like, I mean, stranger things have happened, especially with male abuse cases like that, where like the psychological component comes in and if bonnie has any sort of a hold on him and yeah they find he finally I mean, gets in a car alone and he's like this is my shot and then he gets away like that's that's scary for him yeah and i'm sure I mean, bonnie and clive were probably definitely kind of reflecting a little bit of that family dynamic onto wd he was so young and he and he didn't know how to stand up to them mm -hmm. and, and it, it is actually the, the truth of it is bonnie and clive couldn't have kids Mm. Um, Bonnie was infertile, so they could never have kids. So she she probably so, was a little bit more maternal in that way, automatically, just because of that. Yeah, so, and it's yeah, it's that sort of thing where it's like, this is a, this is a small child. It's a minor. We've taken him from Dallas. He's he's associated with our families. Let's take care of him. But then maybe they smothered him, or you know, maybe they did. You know, like they were forcing this this fantasy on him if it, if it is true but we don't know we just don't yeah. know the truth yeah it's also speculated that Clyde helped WD spin this tale to in case he was arrested because of course he told Bonnie to do the doe-eyed thing whenever she got arrested mm -hmm. this might have been WD's doe-eye where it's like if you ever get captured this is what you tell people and you just tell them and tell them and tell them until they believe you wow okay so so it really could be anything it could have been the truth it could have been a tale and it could have been written by Clyde we don't know we just don't know I just don't know we just don't know. 
So law enforcement hoped that they could use WD as a pawn to capture Clyde because they're like, Clyde clearly loves you. Yeah. He came He came to get you. Like, he clearly loves you. And they were really hoping that Clyde would pull a jailbreak to get WD out. Mm-hmm. And Clyde did pull a jailbreak. He just didn't go for WD. Yeah. <laughs> so he got a different prison or different prison. And they, they were basically the, the law enforcement were like, well, shoot. Meh. <laughs> Uh, WD later said he was quite happy to stay behind bars. He's like, I don't want to be out there with them. They're crazy. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, WD took a deal to be tried as an accessory to the murder of Deputy Davis, which would protect him from the wrath of Arkansas for the murder of Marshall Humphrey. Okay. So you remember the Marshall Humphrey's the guy on the freeway where they crashed the cars and then they, they stole his gun twice? Yes. And WD, that was WD and Buck. Okay. But if... WD was tried as an accessory to, uh, to Malcolm Davis, which was the guy in the house but behind the door. That, that I remember, shotgun. yeah, yeah. Yes. If he took that one instead, they couldn't try him for Marshall Humphrey. So basically, he was getting out of a murder and he was just an accomplice. Ah, okay. Also, apparently, Arkansas prisons were worse than Texas prisons. So he was like, I ain't going to Arkansas. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So WD was still in Dallas County Jail on the day that Bonnie and Clyde were killed. Okay. Um people basically crowded into the prison to tell him the news. They were like, hey, WD, you're never going to believe it. Your Sherman Pa essentially just got murdered. Yeah. And wow. WD responded, I admit that I'm relieved and shook his head. Yeah, maybe. So I think maybe he really didn't have it as good as, you know, yeah, seen throughout the entire thing. Yeah. And, and we don't know, but maybe, and maybe this is part of the tale. Maybe it's not. Maybe he really, like, maybe he really just didn't want to be in the Barrow Gang but he didn't know how to not be in the barricade. Yeah. And and it, and maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. We just don't know. We really, yeah. No, you just don't know. So, he was put on trial that October, where all the witnesses recommended against the death penalty. Like, don't kill the kid. He's, like, he's just turned 18. Like, yeah. Cut the kid some slack. So he was convicted for murder without malice, which means, like, it's essentially, like, manslaughter. Like, they, he killed him, but there was no intent behind it. It was literally, like, I kill him or he kills me. Yeah. And the district attorney and the prosecuting attorney were like, we'll go easy on the kid and we'll we you give him a sentence of 99 years. Oh, okay. It's not life. <laughs> it's, it's 99 years. Yeah, sure. Um, on October 12th, he was sentenced for 15, so they compromised. Okay. <laughs> so he got 15 years in prison. Uh, the following February, he was convicted of harboring Bonnie and Clyde during their run and received an additional two years. So they started trying uh, all of like their known associates, basically like saying, like, you harbor Bonnie and Clyde, who's these notorious murderers. You get an extra two years on any of your prison sentences. Yeah. After six years in the Huntsville Penitentiary, the same death house that Ray and Joe were put in, he was paroled. Wow. Nice. Yeah. So like Clyde, WD tried to join the army afterwards. But he was turned away because he was full of bullets. Uh-oh. WD. <laughs> they were like, you are literally a walking bullet casing. And he was like, ooh, yeah, I did get shot a couple of times. Yeah, but it makes it harder for other bullets to go in. <laughs> yeah, like, don't worry. Like, it's basically bulletproofing at this yeah. point. <laughs> like, just let me go. But they were like, sorry, no, no can do. No. So kind of followed Clyde's footsteps a little bit there. And he was probably about the same age as well. Yeah, that is kind of ironic. Yeah, so he lived the rest of his life in Houston. He did get married, but his wife died in the mid-60s. He then became addicted to painkilling drugs. Oh. The Bonnie and Clyde film came out in 1967, which W.D. watched. And how did he feel He's, about that? So he said that the film made the life look very glamorous when it actually was a bit closer to hell. 
because it was just non-stop it was hard it wasn't you know mm -hmm. living luxuriously it was just hard yeah his character in the movie is actually a mix of him and Henry Methvin so they kind of blurred the two characters together they put the two interns together for that character so they, they skewed that a little bit gotcha so I'm sure he didn't love that no I'm sure he was like well he's also like I never met this Methvin kid and if he's also a kidnap kid like yeah but yeah, also, I'm sure it also made him feel like, because Methvin is, was considered like the, the rat of the Barrow gang. Yeah. So I'm sure like people plastering those two images together of WD and Methvin, he was probably like, I ain't no rat. I didn't rat them out. Yeah. So. Hmm. In the early morning hours of August 20, 1974, WD accompanied acquaintance to, like, is either a friend or a troubled boyfriend to find a bed. So that she could go home. Yeah. An altercation ensued, and at 3:55 a.m., the the boyfriend or friend shot WD three times with a shotgun. Oh my gosh. He was 58 years old. That's so sad. The person said that he was a nice person when sober, but WD Jones had a reputation that they were afraid of, and they weren't going to take any chances. Interesting. Yeah, he passed away that morning. He was buried at Brookside Memorial Park in Houston. Hmm. And that's WD. Wow. So, lived a pretty long time, and he died in a, in a lover's quarrel or a friend's quarrel. Yeah. Wow. So, let's talk about Henry and Ivan, speaking of. <laughs> so, Henry, Ivan, Methvin, the father-son duo attributed to the death of Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Uh, I can only presume that when Henry got separated from Bonnie and Clyde on the road, he was immediately apprehended by the law because I could not find how he was arrested afterwards, so I'm pretty sure his dad was just like, here you go. Wow. <laughs> but this was, of course, his father made the deal with the police in exchange for his son's life, and people were really quick to turn on the Methvins as traitors. Wow. They were like, how dare you rat out Bonnie and Clyde and get them killed? It's wild that people still were like, wow, these guys were monsters, fuck these guys, like, but also like, how dare you betray them? Yeah. So, Henry, like, the, the, the kudos to, to Louisiana and Texas, they up, completely upholded their side of the bargain. Henry was not tried for the grapevine murders, and he was not prosecuted in, in Texas. So, that deal was fully honored. So, yeah. Kudos, kudos to the posse and kudos, kudos to, to those. Did not save him from prosecution in Oklahoma, however, for the murder of Constable Campbell. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was another cop who was killed. Yeah, so I remember he, yeah, so he was shipped off to Oklahoma to await trial. So he and another prisoner were like, not feeling this prison business. It's not, not doing it for me. Mm -hmm. So they came up with this plan to overpower their jailer, who was a, a First Nations man named Tom Armstrong, and then they were going to shank him with a concealed pocket knife. Oh, okay. Yeah, Armstrong was like, "What the fuck, guys?" and immediately overpowered them. Oh. Stopping the escape. He was like, don't play silly buggers with me. I, Fuck oh. you. Yeah. yeah. And that was... Oh. Uh, Henry. Yeah. So Henry After all the work trial. your dad did. Like, come on. I know, right? Like, like, come to the tree for you. For you to I go know. here and try to shank a person. Henry did himself no fucking favors. I'm gonna be honest with you. Henry... Henry... He made a lot of choices. And his dad did his best, but it did not... It didn't go well. That's sad. So Henry stood trial and was found guilty for Campbell's murder, and he was sentenced to death on oh. December 20th, 1935. Wow. The sentence was later commuted to just life in prison. Okay. So he's just, he's just, he's a lifer now. 
he was later paroled on March 20, 1942. Oh, okay. And then he was jailed again in November 1945 for getting into a fight and carrying a shotgun. Sure. He was then jailed again for attempting robbery and drunk driving near Shreveport, Louisiana, 11 months later. Oh, Henry. So, well, oh, Henry. According to reports, on April 19, 1948, Henry was intoxicated while attempting to cross a railroad track. Oh, God. He was killed by an oncoming train. Wow. What there a way to go. Also, well, there's also speculation that his death was revenge for Bonnie and Clyde. It wasn't just him being intoxicated trying to cross this track. And there's speculation that he was either pinned down on the tracks or placed there while unconscious. Wow. Who would have enacted that revenge? Yeah. No evidence of foul play was ever brought forward. Wow. So it's kind of just, he was on the tracks and the train came. That is, that is a very interesting way to go. Yeah, it's it's a rough one. Like I can't like I uh, death by train. Like I would not choose no, that. No, that's a that's a real bad one. That's a real bad one. Uh, Sixteen months earlier, before Henry was killed by a train, his father Ivan was on the way back from the hospital after visiting Henry. So Henry was in the hospital probably after a drunk brawl with a shotgun. Yeah. He was in the hospital, so his, his father went to visit him. On the way out of the hospital, leaving, heading back home, Ivan was killed by a hit-and-run driver. Oh, Ivan. This is also speculated to not just be a coincidence and was a targeted hit-and-run. So That's crazy. The Methvin men did not, they did not get the easy thing. Ivan technically did outlive his son, which I guess was his wish at the end. Yeah. Oh, sorry, his son outlived him. Yeah. But, I mean, just... What a way it, to go. Yeah. They, they did not have... They did not have the best time. No. So that's the Methvins. So finally, the one you've been waiting for. Let's talk about Blanche Barrow. Blanche, Barrow. yes. Tell me about Blanche, the widow. So, Blanche was arguably the least violent member of the gang. Yeah, she didn't want to be there. She didn't want to be there. She only joined because she wanted to be with her husband, and her husband was only there because they were were leaving a vacation and things went tits up. So she was permanently blinded in her left eye from the glass attack, and she lost most of her vision in her right eye, but she could still kind of see shapes and things. Okay. Um, Yeah. She was taken into custody after the Red Crown Dexfield shootouts on the charge of assault uh, assault with intent to kill. Oh. Yeah. So that's how they that's how they held her. Wow. Buck was actually her second husband. And she'd been previously married to an older man at the behest of her mother. Oh. So there Poor you Blanche. go. So I don't think anyone was really judging Bonnie on being married before. I think this was just a thing at the time where, you know, the first one's always like it, it can be You just got to get it out of the way basically. You just got to yeah, marry you- him, get it out of the way so you can get to the second husband. Yes, but she did officially divorce the first one, and she married Buck successfully. So they were married. Gotcha. Yes. Oh. Um, when she was brought in, there was a photographer present at the Dexfield thing, where you know, um, and there are these—they're kind of distressing photos. But you can see like Buck's on the ground. You know, he's been shot in the back, um, and Blanche is blind, so she can't see anything. So she's just being like hauled off by two officers or two members of the posse, and she saw the photographer in her one kind of good eye. She kind of saw him. She thought it was a gun. So she thought, well, this photographer was taking her picture. She thought that she was being shot at. That's she had no idea. Yeah. So, yeah, so she she was 
She had no idea where Buck was. She thought she was being shot at. She was just distressed. That's so sad. So she was convicted of assault with intent to kill. Yeah. Um, and sentenced to 10 years in prison, but was paroled on good behavior. Because she was a good good cookie, it sounds like. She was a good cookie. And I think she was just in, a, in the wrong place at the wrong time. And this assault with intent to kill, she was probably just flailing. She had no idea what was happening. She was blind. Yeah. And in pain. And she's glass in her eyes. Yeah, she's she's in pain. She's she's distressed. She's, you know, she's looking for her husband. She has no idea where her husband is. Mm-hmm. And in truth, I don't know if she ever got to see Buck. That's so. Sad. I don't know if I don't know if she was in prison. I don't know if they let her go see him in the hospital. I don't know if she was permitted to uh, to attend his funeral. I couldn't find anything on it. Yeah. So I mean, she's blind now. She doesn't. She she didn't see what happened to Buck. Quite literally. She hears the news that Buck's passed away. I don't know if she got to see him. It was just kind of. And that was the end. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So after she was paroled, she returned to Dallas and became her father's caregiver. Okay. And then she found love again. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So she, she met, a, met and married a man named Eddie Frazier. Hmm. And it said that she worked as a cab driver. And I was like, she's blind. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if I believe this. Maybe he was a cab driver, but it just said worked as a cab driver. So I assumed it was talking about her. Yeah. But it could have been him. Maybe he was a cab driver. But if Blanche was a cab driver, I would not want her to be my cab driver. No. Uh, I mean, more power to her, but no thanks. Yeah. She was also a, uh, became a beautician, which is basically a hairdresser. Um, Again, very impressive for a blind person. Yeah. I mean, she's well, only, only mostly blind. So I'm, I'm sure she I'm sure she fucking killed it. And I'm sure like that was a privilege of being like being the, the client of, of Blanche, Blanche Barrow, essentially. But at that point, she was Blanche Fraser. Yeah. Yeah, and she completed the terms of her parole right after that, so... Good for her, she turned her life around, too. She really did. She and Eddie, um, kind of like Bonnie, they weren't able to have children. Um, Different set of circumstances, but yeah, Blanche couldn't have kids, so... In 1965, they adopted a 12-year-old boy named Ricky. Aww. Um, Her relationship with her son became strained as they got older, though. So so she, she had tough relations with her son. Um, Eddie Frazier unfortunately died of cancer in 1969. Oh. Yeah, so there's Blanche's on her own again. Yeah. Uh, And she did not remarry. Uh, Then the director, Warren Beatty, approached her to purchase the rights to use her name in the Bonnie and Clyde film. Oh, wow. But she was like, yes, absolutely. That sounds great. Yeah, please give me all the money. And she and Warren Beatty became friends. Wow. Yeah, so they were friends. She saw the movie, which I think is kind of funny. She, she's, I guess maybe they, maybe her eyesight to a degree was fixed in the one eye that she wasn't permanently blinded in. I think they maybe they did something, but she did see the movie. Okay. And she hated what they did with her character. Oh. She hated it. She's like, this because was a horrible portrayal of me. What have you be, done? Well, it's because, you know, like W.D. and Henry, they got mixed as the same character. Her character and Mary O'Dare. <gasps> and Mary was mixed. a bitch. No one liked and Mary. So no she's one like, liked wow. Mary. Wow. And Ray brought Mary in to be the new Blanche, and basically in the movie, Mary and Blanche were the same character, and Blanche was like, what the fuck, you made me Mary? Wow. I gave you my I, name and you made me Mary. How could yes, you? How she could you? Ha- she, she hated the Bonnie and Clyde film in 1967 because she didn't like Mary O'Dare, and she was like, how dare you associate me with that woman? Yeah. She did stay friends with Beatty after though, so... She's happy she got her money. Yeah, I guess so. She got to say, oh, take the money and run. Yeah. Uh, so, Blanche died of lung cancer in 1988. 
She was 77, and she was survived by her son and her mother, oh, who wow. was 93. Wow. Yeah. She was buried in Dallas Grove Hill Memorial Park as Blanche B. Frazier. And she also has a memoir, if you want to check it out. It's called My Life with Bonnie Clyde, published 2004. Wow. And that's the story of Bonnie and Clyde and the gang and what happened after. That's it. Wow. Case closed. We did it. Case closed, ma'am. That's oh, man. <laughs> you look actually physically relieved right now. I am so... I think I think that it just like, it hit me. That I was like, I did it. Yeah. Bonnie and Clyde is done. Whoa. <laughs> Oh my god. It just escaped into the ether and now I just the only thing I have left to do is edit this episode and then I'm done. Yes. <laughs> Truly. I, I I was not expecting this giant escapade of crime and love and just I mean, we laughed, we cried, everything in between for this entire story. It was it was a doozy. Like Yeah. It's, wow. It was a true three parter. And this almost became a four parter for a hot second there, and I got really nervous. <laughs> But, but we no, did it. we we managed to get it into three parts, and thank you all for coming on this journey. If you listen to all three parts, you're like, wow, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you're you're beautiful, you're perfect, you're beautiful. You look like I Linda Evangelista. You. you look like Linda Evangelista. <laughs> did I say it right? I feel like I didn't say it right. You sure uh, did. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <coughs> uh, no, but that but yes. was truly just. An epic, epic, epic journey. I never would have assumed that it ended this way. I wouldn't have assumed they they got caught as much as they did, that they fumbled as much as they did. Yeah. I, it was unexpected, to say the least. Yeah, I think I, I, I think I've I've learned that I really enjoy just kind of lifting the veil a little bit, a little bit with Ouija boards and now with, with Bonnie and Clyde just being a look, it's different. Yeah. No, so, it, it completely is. Yeah, and it's it's history that is well known, but it's not well known. Like everyone knows Bonnie and Clyde, but nobody knows Bonnie and Clyde. No. And going into this this journey with the intent to just tell you, and not knowing what you knew, and not being able to tell you that this is what I was doing, I think this was a really fun challenge. I don't think I'm going to repeat this part, <laughs> uh, part three adventure anytime soon. We'll save the next one for season two. Yeah, for sure. Or or, or maybe I've recharged my batteries after my whatever my next case is. But like, whew. This yeah. was this was uh, this was a lot, and I'm and I'm glad that I could do it, and I hope I did it justice, and I hope you guys enjoyed. And that's it. That's the story. That's the ballad of Bonnie and Clyde. The ballad of Bonnie and Clyde. I feel like I learned so much, and it is it is such a good addition to Spookery because it it is honestly a way spookier tale than than the media gives it credit for. I mean, there is a lot of crazy shit that happens throughout this that like really you're like left going, what the fuck? Yeah. And it is. It's a bit of a what the fuck case. It's a bit of. It's a bit of a murder. It's a bit of. They're survivors. There's. Yeah. I mean, their names it, in general. I mean, we have a category for. Uh, I can't think of it, but but people who spooky con- ambassadors. Spooky ambassadors, and that this almost fits into that because of just their name itself. Yeah, and it and it really was. It was, and this was this was your fault. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but this was you going after, like after I got this category, and I was a little like, I don't have anything prepared for this, and you just yeah. going went on to do a heist, and I was like, well, what's a famous heist that I know off the top of my head? Yeah, and then I looked through those that movie list. Uh, I think you you also suggested the movie list. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I know Bonnie and Clyde, but I don't know Bonnie and Clyde. That'll be fun. And I'm sure, like, it was, like, what, like, 
two months and they robbed a bank and then they they, they, they died in a, in a blaze of glory and it wasn't that. Yeah. And the more I dug, it was like, what is this? Yeah. What have I found? <laughs> and you have to, like you said, it feels like your obligation to share that and lift the veil for more people because that's, I think that is something, that's a story that needs to be known. Like we, we know of Bonnie and Clyde, but we don't know of Bonnie and Clyde. And I think, I think we should. Yeah. So... Thank you for coming with me, ma'am. I thank you for sitting with me for three consecutive recordings to get, this through, get through this. Oh. Uh, man, but thank you guys for listening. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. This was my theft and fraud submission to the spookery. It is done. I can I can sleep. And not just I that, rest. but you can spin the wheel for your new I category. Can't. Are you ready? No, I can. <laughs> I, yes, I'm going to spin the wheel. Let's see what you get. I'm so excited for you. Oh, please, Spookery Wheel, be kind of me. Be, be kind, kind of the Spookery Spirits, wheel. please. Spooker spirits, please give me something gentle. Give yes. me something gentle on the soul. Yes, I'm doing a little dance. Please, spookery wheel, please. We're doing the spookery spirit dance to get them happy with us. Oh, please, oh, please. Spookery, spookery spirits. Spookery spirits, please. All right, let us spin this wheel. Please, spin spookery spirits, don't that do that. Wheel. There we go. <laughs> I'm so nervous. I, I'm excited and nervous for you. This could be bad. <laughs> What did you get? What's your, your face? I can't read it. This isn't good. Uh, my category is mass murders. <laughs> you said it. You said this one. You're like, I bet you're going to get a mass murder. I did. I said I, I felt like you were going to get mass murder, but you needed like a good axe murder or something. Just Well, see, axe murderers do fall in the mass murder category because it's, a, a, it's just a capacity. It's a large capacity of people killed at one time. So I could do a nice ch- I. You know what? Actually, I'm going to keep this one. I'm going to keep, not that I have any choice, but I'm keeping mass murder. I'm committing <laughs> to mass murder. I'm going to do, I know which one I'm going to do for this. I'm going to do a nice, silly, soft, gentle mass murder. I love it. I can't <laughs> wait for this beautifully gentle mass murder for you oh, to take us man. on another trip. Yeah. So we're, we're going we're gonna to straight into the mass murder. <laughs> oh, okay. I... Huh. I, I feel like I've, I've like lost a part of my soul. I feel like I've, a weight has been lifted. <laughs> Something flew out of me when I said this was the story of Bonnie and Clyde, and it just went, whoa! You're, you just like released your firstborn child. I mean, think of the time and love and effort you put into this episode. This three-part episode, and it's it's gone now. It's It turned 18, and it just walked out your door. It is. Yeah, it, time flies. Time yeah. flies. I, I was nursing this baby possible <laughs> two-part of Bonnie and Clyde, and I was like, nothing big happens, right? They rob like one bank, and then they're good. And then 18 years later, I'm like, I have to pay so much college loan. I have to pay off college loans. And they're in prison. <laughs> they're in prison. That is, that's exactly oh, what happened. That's exactly what happened. But I, and I'm, I'm glad I did it. And, I'm, and it was a nice challenge as well. It was a really fun challenge. I, I need like six naps now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you, deserve, but, you deserve all the naps. Uh, but I'm I'm proud I'm proud of myself I'm I'm, thank, I'm so thankful thank you for coming on this journey and th- thank you for not going not Bonnie and Clyde no absolutely I was so happy to learn about this and I I couldn't think of a better person to teach me about this so thank you ma'am ah uh, well thank you guys so next uh, next week next week next week because it's this is episode's coming out on a Monday next week we've got the amazing cryptids and folklore episode by Alana I'm so excited I'm so excited too it, I, I've got that one's gonna be a doozy. <laughs> Oh, I'm so excited! Uh, you've been you've been teasing me with this one, like I've been teasing you with this one. So I'm I'm super excited to see what you come up with because I, I love cryptids and I don't know nothing. 
and you're going to take me into the world of cryptozoology, and I'm very excited. I, yeah, it is It is going to be really good. And I, the next episode particularly is one that is going to be very close to my heart with the topics that I'm choosing. So I, I am more than excited to share this with everybody. It is, oh. I, I truly feel like I'm going to be sharing a little part of like my my soul, like my, my like childhood a little bit. Like it's, it's, a, it's a lot of me that I'm putting into this next one. So I'm very excited. I am so excited. I and I thank you for for laying yourself bare. Of course. And, and, and this your spookery. <laughs> All for the spookery. <laughs> All for the spookery. Uh. Well, thank you so much. It's truly, if you guys made it this far, like six hours in, you fucking made it. You fucking you're made champions. it. You fucking. You're the champion, Barrows. Now. Yeah. Oh my god. So. In the meantime, you can follow us on our socials. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Spooky Podcast. You can send us a Gmail at SpookyPodcast gmail.com. If you have your own spooky stories, you have your contributions to Bonnie and Clyde, you can yell at me, but please do it nicely. Yes. I'm very tired. And we will cry. We will cry if we get a we sad email. Cry. So just you make yeah. it as nice as you can. Yeah, but uh, don't feel free to send us your own stories because we very much well might read them right here on the Spookery. We love talking about stories. Maybe we'll uh, like much like Alana's putting a lot of herself ahead. Maybe we'll share our own spooky stories because I've got a couple of spooky stories that I'm holding on to. I would love that. So yeah, so let us know what you think. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please leave us a five star review if you enjoyed this three part series, and if you didn't, please leave us a five star review to let me know that you didn't like it. <laughs> It works both ways. I'll know. I'll know it the does. intent behind that five star review. Exactly. It'll it'll be signed with the right intent. Yes, I I can feel the I can feel the intent manifested in the universe. Oh my god. All right. Alrighty, full <laughs> folks. We are loopy and ready to go. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Until next time. Yeah. Stay spooky. Bye bye. Spooky will. Why have you done this to me? I manifested the spooky spirits. Yeah. <sighs> Mass murder. <laughs>